Hello, and welcome to the Negative World Podcast, a podcast about video games by the Nintendo fans at negativeworld.org. This is episode 89, and we're recording this on Thursday, July 7th, 2016. I'm your host, Steven, or as I'm known on the boards, Dr. Finkelstein. And with me today, as always, is my co-host, Joe. Hello, Steven. Hello, Joe. How are you? You know, today was honestly a rough day, but I feel better after some dinner, and I'm excited to uh, talk with you and our guests. So, really, I... We I'm, have a guest? Yeah, yeah. So, I'm, I'm doing the best I've been all day, really. Sweet. Uh, but Hopefully, it'll be even better for the next, maybe, two hours. Well, I, I'm, I'm excited for the guests we have, so I think it will be. Uh, I, I think we got to give a shout-out and welcome to Bearded Nerd, who is known as Dave. Hello. Well, thank well, thank you guys. It's uh, it's quite the thing you're having me live up to. If I'm the best part of your day, <laughs> yeah. Don't tell my girlfriend that. But, I say you're really setting the bar right off the bat, aren't you? <laughs> well, uh, I'll, I'll bring it down with my discussion portion here uh, soon enough. Um, so I'll, I'll even it out. You know, so there's highs and lows. It's kind of an exciting action adventure type podcast today. Uh, I'll bring the uh, the dramatic sadness, and you just bring the exciting action parts. All right. Well, I'll do what I can. Joe, you bring the commentary and the comedy. Um, awesome. Such as your, your reading of my last um, little script for the euphonic special we did. Um, I, I don't know. Did reading get, a script? I don't know what you're talking about. Did you get a chance to go back and listen to that? Not yet. Because you, you wanted to do a dramatic interpretation of some words that I'd wrote for the beginning. Right. And um, the way you said your first line <laughs> still has me busting a gut and quoting it around the house. Awesome. So, I loved it. Everyone else should go check it out. It was a, a great uh, euphonic special where we had a bit of a trivia game show. That was it, super fun. It was fun. It, it's over three hours. I mean, it was definitely a gauntlet, but uh, we had over 50 songs featured by a, a YouTube artist. Uh, well, it doesn't make YouTubes per se, but he's a 8-bit chiptune musician who uh, does renditions of non-8-bit video game songs in 8-bit. That's kind of his mainstay, and his name's Bulby. But uh, fantastic stuff, and I was happy to share it with everybody. That's really cool. Yeah, so even if you don't want to listen to the podcast, just go to his uh, YouTube. Just type in Bulby YouTube, and you'll find it. And um, very good stuff. And he's actually got a – I forgot to mention this on the show, so I'll say it here. And I did put it in the show notes, though. But he's got a YouTube show that he started up with another person, I believe, uh, where they kind of I, – I don't have it in front of me, so I don't remember the exact name. I think it's – Something uh, I don't remember. It has OST in it, but um, they they explore video game music on a deeper level. And in the first episode that they've released just like two weeks ago was about Mario Kart Eight, and they really break it down. I mean, it's thirteen minutes of just great music theory, and they showcase how they handled you know the tracks and the overall feel of it, and it's just amazing to listen to. Plus, you get to hear a lot of Mario Kart Eight music, which was amazing. fantastic. Oh my gosh, one of the best soundtracks in recent memory, I'd say. Yep. So definitely go check it out. This Bulby guy's a great guy. I never met him in, in real life. Barely talked to him on, on Twitter. But I just respect the guy's work a lot. And so uh, mm-hmm. while I'm doing that, Oriodo, as far as uh, you know, art goes, there's that, that French artist who um, does all those great video game paintings and everything. Have you guys seen that stuff? Yeah, you linked it my way. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. I've got three of his prints in canvas on my wall right here in this room. So uh, I can say I, I, I like his stuff a little bit. So, cool. that said, let's move on. Uh, we're going to jump into now playing, and we have a, a series of what do you think questions later on. Um, we have some background music. <laughs> yep, yep, and, there it is. 
<laughs> and that's um, that'll be showing up throughout the show. Whenever oh that, lord, whenever that noise, whenever that noise happens, that means uh, that Joe's we should move phone. on. That just means we're going to move on to the next segment. Is all that is. Oh, it's yep. it's playing us off our Oscar speech. Yes, <laughs> it's saying wrap it up, Steve. Wrap it up. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so we're going to do now playing. We're going to do what do you think? And then we're going to have a main topic at the end regarding Mr. Miyamoto. So let's jump in. Uh, Dave, if you would, start us off with some now playing, bud. All right. Uh, so yesterday I really rocked a good long while of playing old school Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles tournament fighters. And uh, I'm fortunate enough in my collection to have both the Genesis and SNES versions. I'm not willing to break and buy the NES version. Um, so I spent some time comparing those two and not surprisingly, even though I've heard it several times, they are ridiculously different games. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. I've played it on the Genesis, but I've never played on the SNES and I guess, can you, do you want to describe a little bit about how they're different or? Sure. Um, uh, first off the, uh, the character rosters are, are quite different. The Genesis has eight playable characters, the four turtles, not surprisingly, April O'Neil, Casey Jones, and then a couple of kind of filler toads uh no uh just filler enemies that you know non-prominent enemies you know not like your a shredder. shark that one's uh, the shark guy i believe it's armageddon or something to that effect mm-hmm. shows up on the snes version okay. and therein lies the lead-in where with the snes version you actually have i believe it's 12 no 10 playable characters the four turtles uh a cyber shredder and a bunch of really filler type uh, other enemies from the from the television show from the, back in the nineties. Also, the Genesis has, uh, with only having a three button control, not including the D pad, you can rotate between kicking with one button, punching with one button, and taunting with the C button. Whereas on the SNES, you actually have a you know a, a high punch, like a, a strong punch a weak punch, a weak kick, and a strong kick with your uh, X, Y, and A, B buttons. The shoulder buttons don't seem to do anything with it. And the whole theme of the game is games are completely different. In the Genesis version, they seem to be gallivanting through the stars going from planet to planet in some non-justifiable reason. And on the SNES, it's set up like a game show where the turtles are only joining the game show battle because they see that Shredder's joining it, and they have to stop him from achieving whatever end he's attempting to achieve. Winning the the black belt, or something. Yes, I, I, I don't. Like I say, the, the story aspect of the of the game is very weak. That being said, the gameplay on the SNES version is vastly superior to the gameplay on the Genesis. Also, graphically, um, I find that the SNES version, the characters look more like you'd expect them to look. They look more like they're ripped from like uh, Turtles in Time in terms of their, uh, their design style, mm-hmm. whereas on the Genesis version, they just seem to be slightly muddier, not bad, but they just don't have the same really strong cartoony quality that you'd kind of expect in a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game of that era. Sure. Yeah, so I spent a a while playing that last night. 
I've been rocking the old school a little bit more lately. So, so who do you prefer? Who's your uh, main character? I'm a Donatello guy. You're Donatello. That's, nice. that's just kind of hands down in Ninja Turtles, whether it be in movie form, video game form. I basically start with Donatello, and then it's, oh, okay, well, I guess there's other turtles, too. <laughs> so it's not just uh, he's got the longest-range weapon, so I'll be most effective. It's You actually have a Donatello affinity. Well, the, yeah, there's, this, is a, this is more of an emotional attachment. Right. You know, I'm likening it to when you play a sport, if you're a sports fan and you play a sports game and your team's there, no matter where they are in the standings, there might be better teams configured on the game. You're always, at the very least, going to start with your team. Yep. That's, that's kind of nice. what it's like for me. I like that. Yeah. And so which of the games do you prefer overall? Which one's better for you, Super Nintendo or the Genesis? The Super Nintendo version. Now, in my albeit limited experience, I've come across, if a person was hunting to find them, in my experience, I've come across the Genesis version more frequently and for less money. When I bought the Genesis version, I think I got it for around 29 Canadian. So what is that, $3 American? <laughs> and 250 that, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, see, I, I don't keep track of it daily, so... And then I picked up the SNES version for 43 Canadian, so a bit more money. But I guess, frankly, if you're really intending to actually play the games rather than just store it on your shelf, spend the extra bit of money and get the SNES version if you have the option. Sure. Now, Joe, real quick, your Retron 5, does that, that plays both the SNES and Genesis, right? Correct. So, yeah, so you could easily, uh, even if you didn't have the original systems, if you had a Retron 5, you could do something like this and you compare the Super Nintendo versus the Genesis and all that. Yeah, and I, you know, I distinctly remember back in the day all the uh, gaming magazines that had advertisements for for this uh, wave of games. And by wave, you know, I do mean because there was the three different versions of them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I just, I remember being really confused because on the one hand there was obviously the characters that you uh, know and love and recognize, but then there was also, and there was also like some, some second tier characters, like some more obscure characters like your uh, uh, Manta Ray, you know, he goes by different names in different uh, Ray Fillet works. Yeah. Ray Fillet. Yeah. Uh, Wingnut. He's, he's in a couple of things. Sisyphus. Um, yeah. Now that see, that's a guy. Uh, is he like some sort of a like a like a bug, right? Yeah, he's known in, in the Japanese version as Musha Beetle. Okay. Because let me try to find a picture of him. Okay. Yeah. See, I don't I don't recognize him from anything whatsoever. So. Yeah, but so but that's what was kind of confusing was that like I I couldn't tell like is this like a kind of a knockoff game where someone just like got the rights to the turtles and then you know put them in some some other fighting game that they were just trying to get some more name recognition out of or is this actually like a turtles property that just has some things I don't recognize but um I don't know. Obviously, it sounds more like the latter. Would you 
Would you well, agree with that assessment? Like, does it feel like a like a Turtles game, or does it feel like something they just kind of slapped the Turtles the, into? The SNES game feels like a Turtles game. Um, now it happens to be a, a full-on fight game, and in its limited capacity, you could play it after playing, you know, Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat. It would mm-hmm. it would fairly easily fall under that genre, even though it just happens to feature the Turtles. Whereas the Genesis game. Because they've reduced the fight capabilities down to two buttons, like I said, you, you have three buttons and you're only using two of them, straight mm-hmm. up punch or straight up kick, and it just feels very slapped together. It almost feels like, okay, well, you know, there's you know multiple systems we can release this for. I guess we better get a version of each, a version for each, and in order to offer a, a, diff, a little bit of a differentiation, they quite blatantly made three different games uh-huh. and it's very odd because I, I just happened while we we're talking about this pulled up the wikipedia page you know as accurate that as that necessarily will be but even if you look at them like the very base description of them on their first couple sentences they're completely different games and it's uh-huh. really quite something that they went in such a drastic direction of uh, variation well yeah i mean i was reading uh that not only was this America only, this NES version. Yeah. Um, but just, I mean, if you look at the graphics and everything, it does, it looks like almost, an, the NES version looks like something that was maybe like a bonus mode in TMNT2, the arcade mm-hmm. game or something. While the Super NES and the Genesis look more like actual, uh, not I wouldn't say, you know, Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter clones, but they just, they, they look... Like legit, you know, games in this in that kind of fr- uh, genre. Well, and that's progressing. And I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's kind of what it, it seems to be. Is I mean, let's be honest. At this point, when Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat hit, these types of games were a staple. Right. Everybody yeah. had everybody had to put out a version of them. And well, of yeah. course, what's one of the hottest properties at this time? Well, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So it only seems logical that Konami is going to maximize both of these things and 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 slap together a fairly quick version of another Ninja Turtles game that's going to sell like hotcakes and then fall under the fighting genre, which is so popular. So it somewhat stands to reason. They should have really done a Captain Planet version of this kind <laughs> of game, you know? I think that would have been better. Just pit heart versus anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Joe, you were mentioning some of the characters and how kind of bizarre they were. Mm. Like um, that, I called it a fillet. But you probably yep. right, Ray Filet. Uh, although I read it with two L's in this particular notion, so I have no idea. Um, probably is Ray Peekman. But it looks like a lot of these characters actually come from the Archie uh, comics, um, not the actual Archie comics, but you know the Archie company made the T- the TMNT comic book, right. and it looks like a lot of these extra characters might have come from there. Well, a few of them still were freshly developed for the game. So, I mean, I don't know if you read any of the comics. Yeah, that's the thing, because I, I had read that. I had read that series as a kid, and that's so that's why I recognized, you know, the half of them, and then that's why I was so confused oh, okay. where the other half were coming from. But. Oh, because for me, like, I was confused in general, because I didn't know that comic strip, or the comic book <laughs> strip, the book at all. And uh, I, I didn't even realize that these were multiple games, to be honest. When I was growing up, I thought there was one version, and I thought it was in the Genesis, which is funny that I thought that, because... Uh, Dave was just saying that the shark character, Ar- Armageddon or Armageddon, 
he, Something like that, yeah. He was only on the Super Nintendo version, but I distinctly remember him, and I thought yeah. he was on the Genesis. So it was a complete blur to me. If I had even known about the NES, I would have been even more confused. But, I mean, even if you think in their, inside their packaging of these games, they kind of give you clues you're getting into something different. Like, if you pull up the images on your standard Google search, you can see that the SNES cover has... It, it, uh, it features Donatello fighting the shark character. On the NES version, it features Leonardo fighting some sort of dragon-looking character. And then the Genesis version features Raphael fighting a Triceratops-looking character. Mm-hmm. This goes to show how much I know the names of the characters. Okay. Yeah, I see now. And that <laughs> confuses my memory even more, considering, again, I think this box art is why I thought I knew about the shark, and yet it's clearly saying Super Nintendo on there. So yeah. who knows? But I was a Genesis kid growing up, so I probably thought everything was for Genesis. <laughs> hmm. So you were, you were the one. I guess at some point, this game was even referred to uh, by some unofficial venues um, as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 5 Tournament yeah. Fighters. So, it, not that it That's was a true wrong. continuation. Yeah, it's just kind of weird that they would do that. I, I mean, I guess you don't... It's not like Super Mario Brothers 4 was a golf sim or something, you know? I mean, they just yeah. kind of spun that off properly, but... Huh, well, it's cool, though. I mean, have you... I guess, how do you beat the game? Uh, no, I, I have to be honest, I haven't. I found uh, the the control scheme on the Genesis to be too daunting to really put a lot of time in, so I ended up playing the SNES version quite a bit more. And I found that without the manual, some of the, the moves, I couldn't decipher the uh, like the special moves very well. Uh, so I only happened upon a couple of them. And uh, and I wasn't able to make a lot of progress through the game. And I guess to be quite honest, as I'm going to point out later when we get to some of the other topics, I'm actually as obsessed with gaming as I am. I'm not a very good video game player. <laughs> I don't make a lot of progress very quickly. So, but as long as you're not just dropping it and you know getting pouty, that's that's good. No, there's not a lot of rage quitting from me. It's just a lot of oh, I guess I'm just going to do this again and and again and several dozen times more after that. So, so. to game is to tedium for you. <laughs> well, ironically, you're the one that brought up the character of Sisyphus, but if we know our Greek mythology well, he was destined to push a rock up and down a hill for all eternity, making no progress whatsoever. That does and suck. that's kind of where I'm at. So I feel like a lot of people listening might be like, hey, that sounds like me in life right now. <laughs> that's an interesting analogy. But I won't go into my day. So, uh, is there anything else um, you want to say about this uh, series of games? If you have an opportunity to check it out, uh, do so. Because it's definitely worth you know picking up. Uh, especially if you're, like me, somewhat obsessed with the Ninja Turtles games of that time period. It's definitely one to add to the collection. And it really is worth some amount of, uh, of your time. Just you know, how much depends on how much you care for the genre and... And care for whichever version you happen to happen upon. So it can handle the Genesis controls. They're just so weird. <laughs> like it's just so unnecessary to do it that way. But well, I kind of felt, even though I, like I said, I was a Genesis kid growing up. I kind of felt like the controller just was never that great. Like most games, the three buttons did the same damn thing. Mm-hmm. You know, just like what the hell is this controller trying to be? Yeah, I'm with you on that. But uh, but we won't go down that rabbit hole. Uh, is there anything else you've been playing? 
Uh, the only thing also I've been devoting any kind of time to is a Star Fox Command. Um, Excellent game. Yeah, I happened upon it late. I didn't get it uh, upon its release. Uh, I came acro- across it at a pawn shop a number of months ago. It kind of fell into the pile, and I was looking for something to go to next, and none of the uh, 3DS games I had at that moment struck my struck a chord with me, so I decided to try this out, and I've been happy to do so. I know for some people, Star Fox is a pure... You know, if it's not like the SNES version, I don't mean in story terms, I know that's a whole different gamut of conversation but you know where it's nothing but straight up flight combat they don't really get into it but i kind of like the uh the command and conquer-esque aspect of it you know where you're positioning your your pieces around the board to try to anticipate moves and all that i I find it's a nice way to break up the gameplay and to give you a natural way into a little bit of of uh different types you know if you're chasing the missile versus going on a uh, an attack run in the air or whatnot. It's just a, a nice way of doing it. And I like the fact that they kind of have the, the hokey voice acting, you know, just the, the noises and all that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of dig it. I, I like the, the charm of it. And I'm not as focused on Star Fox stories the way some are, you know, where it's like, well, this, where does this fall in the constant? I don't, I don't really worry about that. The fact that they have been telling the same story with every game. I don't sure. Whatever. <laughs> As long as the gameplay is good, I'm good with it. So, are you playing on the DS or the Wii U Virtual Console? I'm playing on the DS. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're just about. Uh, if you want to count the original release in Japan, we're just about uh, ten years anniversary um, in about a month. So of Starbox no. Command. Yeah. It came out, um, and then it came out a few weeks later in the states. So even um, well, the states, North America. I shouldn't. Uh, not with this particular guest. I shouldn't generalize. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, it was August twenty eighth for two thousand in two thousand six that this game came out in North America. So it'll be almost ten years, which is kind of crazy. But I think I uh, knew I, I knew I came to it late. I didn't think it was that late. But well, there you go. Live and learn. <laughs> you're a little late to the party. That's all right. That's all right. I've uh, I've been known to be. The game has been seeing a resurgence on the website lately on Negative World uh, through Mister Mustache's uh, Star Fox thread that he had uh, through all of last month. He was kind of challenging folks to join him and on playing a handful of the Star Fox games in the series uh, who hadn't maybe played it in the past. I wasn't able to participate, but I believe Star Fox Command was one of them, and perhaps that's due to the virtual console uh, availability now. Mm-hmm. But people, I think people have this conception, at least this is what I've picked up, but people have this conception of the game, you know, like you said, isn't necessarily as great as the classics, but then the people who have played it, seem to champion it and really kind of support it under their wing, saying that it's actually a really uh, unique and, and fun experience. I have played a lot of the Star Fox games a little bit. Like, I've played most of them through one time, and I haven't really, like, you know, done a, a real deep dive into into any of them. But that said, Star Fox Command is my favorite Star Fox game. Hmm. So... And I am one who, I, I also recognize the fact that Star Fox has been retelling the same story yeah. like three times, like for some reason. That's just the Nintendo way, right? They just like, Mario is has essentially told the same story 
every single time. Yeah. Zelda tells essentially the same story every single time. Star Fox tells the same story every single time. And I, but I like, you know, focusing on what's there, even if it is a little bit. And I will say that my interpretation of Star Fox Command was like, um, I don't know how to put it, because normally I like one sort of canon. Like, this is what happens, right? But if you play right. Star Fox Command, you get all these sort of branching, choose-your-own-adventure outcomes. And for some reason, it was done in such a just fun and entertaining way that it didn't bother my kind of canon, non-canon OCD the way that sort of thing <laughs> typically might. I just really loved it. I really enjoyed it. I really found myself caring about these like second and third tier characters that normally I wouldn't really care about. But then, you know, suddenly I was like, Oh, I'm actually interested in what happens to, um, you know, the other members of star wolf or something like that. And so now if, and when I see them, when I play star Fox zero, eventually like I'll have a little bit more emotional connection to them because of star Fox command, even though those storylines, may or may not be canon, you know? Yeah. I'm going to have to agree with you wholeheartedly on one thing you said there, Joe, more than anything else. Not that I disagree, but <laughs> I, I've i played a lot of the Star Fox games a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I'm with you. I'm with you in the same way. It's like, okay, I, I completed this branch of the story mission, and, and yeah. it, it took me to a credit sequence. Well, I guess yeah. I'm done. Yeah. It, not thinking to go back and try to find the other paths or, or, or whatnot. Yeah. So, so how, how many, if any, have you completed with Star Fox Command, Dave? Have you gone through this one time, or are you still working on it? I'm still working on my way through the first one. Uh, going back to my previous statement about how I like to play video games, but I actually suck at them. Mm-hmm. I happen to be dying a lot, hmm. and I'm okay with it, but it's taking a while. <laughs> so. I'm not uh, I'm not as far into the game as I'd kind of like to be. That being said, as I've played the same four missions a lot as I try <laughs> to complete them, so it's uh, I'm getting a lot of experience that way. And Joe, what about yourself? Did you see all the endings? Because apparently there's oh, yeah. nine. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. There are nine end. Oh my god, I this forever. Yeah, <laughs> I borrowed that game from a friend of mine back when we were living in Buffalo. Um, I wish I'd like made him an offer on it, but um, and I took it on a road trip. Uh, so I kind of, that was what I was playing kind of every night during hotels, you know, like before bed. So, um, yeah, I wound up, I wound up doing every branch when it was all said and done. Um, that's amazing. I, I don't, (laughs) I don't recall the game being all that difficult. Dave, so um, that's okay. I'm, I'm keep at it. (laughs) I, I have to admit, um, I've been. As you guys know, and uh, anyone who might be listening may or may not recall, uh, I'm really good friends in the uh, living world with Plute, Paul. And uh, he made a similar comment to me in the way that only he can, where he reminded me that the game isn't as hard as I'm apparently making it. Mm. And he had a, an equally good chuckle about the whole situation. So mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm very used to this, this type of flack. <laughs> but it is, I found... Uh, you know, maybe for some for some people, it's just like fat that needs to be trimmed away. But I loved the strategy element of being able to sort of plan your course, right? And I felt you know you could really give yourself advantages that way. But but not only that, like you, 
it didn't feel like the kind of thing where you had to either use this strategy, which is the most efficient, or do poorly. You know, like you could actually kind of have fun with it, you know, and like be like, oh, this, you know, I'm going to, maybe that didn't work as well as I want. So I'm going to try going over here or I'm going to try to go, you know, if I like, you have to get fuel or something like that, right? Don't you have to yeah. like, right. So it was like, oh, if I refuel this uh, over here and then send this, uh, this squadron over this way, you know, what's going to happen? And I just, I, yeah, I, I ate that game up. I, I really enjoyed that whole, the whole thing. Well, did you play it, Steven, or? I've not, no. I, I've heard so much about it lately that I've been intrigued. And hearing you guys talk about this and, and doing a little light reading on it myself, hearing that it's more a turn-based strategy than it is, you know, on-rails shooter, yeah. actually uh, entices me quite a bit. I, Star Fox is one of those franchises, just like the Kirby franchise, where I really like the premise, I like the characters, I love the music. But I just don't get into the gameplay too much, so whenever I try to play the games, I end up sour on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not bad, but I don't love it. And sure. um, this seems like something that actually might be worth changing a little tune for me. Uh, and since on the Wii U Virtual Console, it's something I could easily pick up. Right on. I will say, I don't think the graphic, you know, don't don't get your hopes up for the visuals. True. They, they're pretty... Uh, you know, even by the standard of ten years ago, I don't think they were particularly um, impressive. Uh, well, and I don't are there even on rails segments? I feel like it was all kind of like one big square, and you just kind of I forget yeah, that's what the not, name of it is, but it's like free flight or or whatever. Yeah, it's called. you're you're very right on that. Um, there's no rail type shooter. It, it's all right. free form, and you're all in the. Right cube of the space that you're dealing with at that right. at that moment because it definitely is what i prefer back, yeah. oh yeah i always i always like those levels in Star Fox better than the on rail stuff which is another thing that you know for the real pure fan you know that might be just you know blasphemous or something but but i i really i really prefer the cube yeah. as you put it yeah so yeah that's kind of what i've been i've been into well, great. Sounds like a, a cool mix. I like hearing when people are playing games that I'm not necessarily, you know, uh, keen on or or aware of because it's it's just fun to see kind of what mix people have going on at any given time. Yeah, it's not I mean, just I, Super Mario Maker or Splatoon. You know, the, all the classics that I I personally tend to bring up and kind of regret sometimes. Well, I know for myself, I've been fortunate enough this last uh, few weeks that. We have uh, three used video game shops in my in my city, and nice. and each one of them at any given day could have a a jackpot of games, ranging anywhere from you know, like your really high end, hard to find Super Metroid type titles to you know some dollar ninety nine um, gem that you had kind of forgotten about liking when you were a kid. That's totally worth a dollar ninety nine at this point. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've picked up a few titles like that. Like I picked up uh, a game called Motocross Maniacs for the original Game Boy for a dollar ninety nine on Plute's recommendation, and it's totally worth the dollar ninety nine in a very positive way. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a fun little game in the Excite Bike kind of vein, and for a buck ninety nine, you really just can't go wrong. And and like I said, we're very fortunate to to have these places in the city, but. Right now, it's very much a, a buyer's market. There, people aren't getting rid of their collections, so the stock's getting a little thin. But every once in a while, you find a gem. So, 
Yeah, I'm rather envious of that uh, situation you guys have over there across the water. Because, um, you know, I live obviously just kind of across the river, more or yeah. less, from you. But uh, I, when I was there last, I picked up Hogan's Alley. I haven't played it. Oh, that's it, right. <laughs> but I did pick that up on NES just because I was like, holy crap, I've never even seen this in person. So I, <laughs> I had to pick it up. And one day when I set my NES back up, I'll try it. But, Dude, uh, vintage gaming room. It's pretty awesome. We we probably should we we've left uh, Dave's topic. We should probably go on to Joe and what he's been playing. Okay. So how about you lead us in, bud? Sure. So one of the more consistent pieces of feedback we get on this show is they're always saying, "Why doesn't Joe talk more about Pokemon? <laughs> Where's the Pokemon? Doesn't anyone care about Pokemon?" I wake so... up in the middle of the night and scream that. <laughs> So I thought I'd give the people what they wanted and talk about Pokemon a little bit. Nice. Um, I downloaded, I made a, a digital game purchase, which is rare for me, uh, but it's only available digitally, is the uh, Pokemon Blue release that uh, they put on the eShop not too long ago. Um, the reason why I jumped in was because I've never played Red or Blue uh, I played Soul Silver and considered that good enough because you sort of go through the Kanto region. Um, but also the fact that you could actually um, move these Pokemon forward to other games via the um, the bank, and you could actually trade with people via wireless and everything like that. So I was like, this is you know this is the right the right way for them to re-release this game in, in a way that I would actually uh, be into it. So. Um, and I also had seen this popular trend in Pokemon games lately, especially people that stream them, called a Nuzlocke challenge. Um, are either of you familiar with the general rules of a Nuzlocke challenge? Yeah, you you put the Pokemon in a headlock and you nuzzle it. <laughs> nuzzle the that, hell out of it. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. <laughs> I'm there. Maybe not for electric Pokemon. That static electricity will build up. Yeah, really. Um, okay, I've seriously. Been a Snorlax guy. But yes, I, I, I've heard of this happening before. It involves making it more realistic in a sense, right? Um, in a way, you could definitely interpret it that way. Yeah, some of the rules. So I'll, I'll run it down briefly for, in case our listener Brandon doesn't doesn't know. <laughs> um. Thank you, Brandon. So, hey, Kuvaps. <laughs> Shout out to Kuvaps. Um, okay, so some of the general rules. Obviously, there's a lot of sort of uh, optional ways you, you, can, you can take this and sort of tweak it and whatever. But some of the basics are if, if any of your Pokemon faint in battle, they are considered dead and you have to release them. So there's no letting your guys get knocked out and then bringing them back to the Pokemon Center and healing them or using a revive on them or anything like that. If they get KO'd, they're deleted from your game. Oh, wow. Um, you're only allowed to catch the first Pokemon you encounter in a new area and only one per area. So you walk into a new route, the very first thing you encounter via random battle that's the only Pokemon you can get from that area. So you hope it's a Mewtwo. So you hope it's a Mewtwo. <laughs> um, if you accidentally knock it out or it runs away, too bad. 
you just got to move on. You put an X in the column for that route, and, and you can't catch anything uh, from that area. Um, and, you know, so that definitely makes it interesting because like you, like you just alluded to, like you're really hoping, oh, I, I hope I get something a little more interesting or useful as opposed to or a Tata or a Pidgey or something like that. So if you go into one route and you get a Pidgey and you go to the next route and it's another Pidgey, you're right. stuck with two Pidgeys? Well, I was just going to say that these are some of the optional rules. So you can either say it's a double and I can't catch it and I'm just screwed. Or you can say it's a double so I can keep going until I see something new. Or you can say I'm just going to have two Pidgeys, for example. So those are those are kind of like the hard, medium, easy mode, depending on how you wanna huh. how you wanna play it. So, um, a strongly implied rule is that you must name every Pokemon, and that's to give it more of an emotional attachment. So that should it die, you kind of like feel bad, you know. <laughs> um, which sounds stupid maybe but of course the flip side is you know when they live and when they do well you have an even stronger you know sense of like companionship because you named it and things that you name you get attached to um does it work if i name them all this fart (laughs) this fart one this fart two uh maybe maybe not exactly i'm just i'm just asking for a friend Mm -hmm. um and that's that's pretty much it. I mean, those those are the general rules. Beyond that, there's there's like there's like a hardcore nuzlocke where you're not even allowed to use items, things like that. Uh, but those are for that's for people who are like super expert and and whatever. So I am not. I was not looking for extra challenge in the game, but I thought that this all sounded really fun and interesting because you then are not really in control of of who your party is. And thus, you're going to end up using Pokemon that you wouldn't normally use and sort of like learn new ways to get the most out of them or get the most out of whatever your team is. Even if, you know, if you just so happen that you like never catch a water type, let's say, then you're going to have to learn to work around that weakness, right? So um, all of that and plus the intensity of like, you know, if if they get knocked out, you have to release them. You know, I thought that this would really uh, make my game a lot more fun and interesting, and and so I wanted to give it a try. Um, I was I was really excited to 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 play it more for the Nuzlocke challenge bit than than for the the game itself, really, because uh, I knew the game itself was going to be somewhat bare bones and you know m- maybe not really hold up by today's standards. Um, since I never played it back in its day, it wouldn't have any nostalgia appeal for me. So, um, so I was really excited to do it, and uh, you know, true to the nature of the challenge, when I first started, uh, the very first thing I did was sort of venture into a part of the game that you're not supposed to go to early on, and I encountered my rival, and he completely wiped out my whole team because I was not prepared. Um, so then you become one of his Pokemon. <laughs> So Could you imagine that'd be amazing. <laughs> Think about the so, moves you'd learn. <laughs> it's almost well, only for when I'd start. <laughs> so when that happens, when you, when if your whole team gets knocked out, uh, you, you have to restart the game. Like that's that's the challenge, right? You have to delete your save file and start over again, uh, which was not a big deal since I was only like an hour or two into the game. Um, but I 
learned quickly not to go that way. Um, but early on, before you've kind of developed, you know, that one powerhouse Pokemon that sort of everyone can like ride on the coattails of, your characters, you know, they're going to die. So early on, out of like the first six Pokemon I caught, I think three of them got KO'd for one reason or another. You know, you get like an unlucky critical hit here or there, and then and then they're just done. Right. Um, and it was kind of more just frustrating than emotionally interesting because I didn't even have time to really develop a bond with these Pokemon before <laughs> they were gone forever, you know? But it would be like I, I would have spent like an hour or two hours doing that thing where you put them first in your party and then switch them out to get some, them some experience and then finish the battle with someone else. So I'm kind of like grinding with them and I get them up to like a semi-acceptable level and then they get KO'd and they have to start all over again. So I was kind of more just getting frustrated with that. And this whole bit about naming them all something unique, that's well and good for the modern games, but in these old games, if you give them a name, you really have no way of knowing what that Pokemon even is unless you look in like the sub sub menus, you know. You know that Be- this is a fart. <laughs> That's all you right. Gotta know. right. Because like they don't even the the little like character icon in the menus, there's only like six really? or eight different types or something. Like it's not even of that Pokemon. They're it's all like birds. Yeah, like all the flying ones are birds and all the bug ones are like a little beetle thing and anything with four legs looks like a cow or something like that. <laughs> a cow so, on two feet or something. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So so that was just not working because <laughs> they all had these names and I was like, well, who the he- like what the hell is Alan? Like that was one of the names is Alan. I was like I don't know what that is, so there's no strategic advantage. Like, I could bring it in. It could be the total wrong thing because I don't know what this is. Or even, like, looking through my boxes, I didn't know who was who. Um, So that just wasn't working out for me. And then eventually I got to a point where, like, one of of my Pokemon that I had, like, I had, like, some HMs on there. I had a TM on there, which in these games you can only use one time and then it's gone. And he got knocked out, and I was like, "Fuck this whole thing. This is stupid." <laughs> so, so the so the reason why I'm even telling this story, my Nuzlocke story, my Pokemon Blue Nuzlocke challenge, is because what I ultimately decided to do is give up on the Nuzlocke part of the challenge, and now I'm just playing the game straight. And I went back and I renamed all my Pokemon to the species name so that I know. What the hell I'm using? Nice. And uh, if things die in Dolph Lundgren style, they die, and I just bring them back, and it's fine. And uh, I'm having way more fun with the game right now. That was one of my criticisms about the Nuzlocke challenge this whole time, and maybe I'm misinterpreting it, but in in the in the anime, for example, mm. um, maybe you know Pokemon can actually die, or you know, so I kind of understand that aspect of it but the pokey centers do exist and they're very prominent so it makes a lot of sense that you could very well even though if you're trying to be more realistic or whatever 
uh, bring these characters back to life. And for me, like you were saying, you know, you want to name the character so you have more of an emotional connection. That's part of the process here. Well, resurrecting a character, a Pokemon that you're using, and having it fight another day, and and learning and growing with it actually is very much of a connection right. with that character. So, yeah, right, each their own. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I still would maybe when the new when Sun and Moon come out, I might try again because I think that there's a lot of modern touches that would make this a lot more doable. Um, for instance, uh, I, I said it was when that one Pokemon fainted, but that was like the the second to last straw that broke the camel's back. The straw that really broke the camel's back was when I finally when I learned that to get the experience all item in that game, you have to have caught fifty Pokemon, fifty mm. different Pokemon. So you'd never get it. That's that's an impossibility, as far as I know. I don't think there's maybe there's roughly fifty areas, but the game would be over by then as opposed to, you know, half over or whatever it is. So I was like, I really want that because one thing I've hated about Pokemon from the beginning was that whole mechanic of you put the weak one in front, you switch them out immediately, blah, blah, blah. So without experience share or experience all, I, I, I just don't even know if I would really enjoy the Pokemon series the way that I do. Uh, I guess some people consider it kind of like a casual mode or something, but to me it makes a lot of sense that like I'm out there venturing with these six Pokemon, they should all get experience, uh, even though you know they're not like in the battle at this very moment. So, um, and in the more modern games, they're just a lot more liberal with the experience and stuff like that. So. I think that would not be as hard. Obviously, it's it's a million times easier to know which Pokemon species you're using, regardless of the name. Um, so, uh, just a lot of things like that. I think I think it would be worth at least one more try when Sun and Moon come out. But um, yeah, as far as Pokemon Blue, it's just I, I don't. It was just not just not working out. Just not entertaining, and uh, I'm just having a thousand times more fun just just playing the game for the game itself right now so yeah so uh that's the moral of my story i guess one thing i gotta throw out to you is uh the the pokemon games have had this experience share working and then it's been more prominent for many many iterations Mm. i take it not as a weak sauce mode or whatever but as a course correction for the franchise because Mm. the way they do it in that Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow really is inadequate. Mm. And it's one of the reasons that I still have intentions of beating Pokemon Yellow, but I am still, like, right after the third gym in my copy okay. that I picked up around the time that they released them this year. But mm. I'm just, ugh, just the whole idea of grinding through just for the sake of doing it is actually frustrating. Right. Maybe it worked on my, you know, 13, 14 year old self or however old I was when I first played Blue, but eh, not going to fly anymore, man. Right. It's frustrating as all hell. And, that's one of the things that's enticing me about Pokemon Sun that despite my qualms about the series, all these modernized touches really do make it seem like, oh, well, it's less of a pain in the ass to get through and, and enjoy, so oh, maybe I'll just do it again. Yeah. So I'm banking on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, what the method I went back to was I basically just have my starter and uh, one other that are just kind of like my powerhouses, and basically they can between the two of them they can take pretty much anything down 
uh, and then I'm just sort of biding time with the whole rest of my team until I get that experience item, which should be soon. Uh, I'm five badges in, so I've uh, I, I'm I'm actually at the guy who will give it to me, but I don't have uh, 50 different species caught yet. Um, I'm, I think I'm at like 43. And I will say one thing that was actually pretty darn fun after I sort of gave up the Nuzlocke bit and then it became like, well, how do I get 50 different species caught as fast as possible? I was also just at the part where you visit the Safari Zone. Mm-hmm. And in past games, the Safari Zone, um, it was just never really all that interesting to me because it was like, I, I honestly didn't know why this was any different than any other part in the game. You know, it just felt it just felt sort of like arbitrary and not really that exciting. Um but in this game and, and you know maybe this is just perception on on this one playthrough but it genuinely feels different than the rest of the game because the rest of the game so far has still even after five badges it's still mostly just like pidgeys, rattatas, zubats, geodudes, whatever. But in here in the safari zone here it's like it feels like this whole you know rainbow of choices and, and different pokemon that you have not seen anywhere else uh and many of them are you know rather powerful or at least can be so um so that's been pretty darn exciting going through it and being able to just use the safari balls instead of having to pay for pokeballs and it's kind of an interesting twist and kind of pleasantly surprising that it wound up in the first version of this series uh and it just kind of it just kind of came at the right time because like i said i was needing to try to fill up that pokedex to 50 and and here i am so it was it was just it was a lot of fun it was pretty neat made the safari zone go up a few notches in my opinion whereas i never really never really got it before so yeah and uh right now i'm enjoying my playthrough thoroughly and uh you know, looking forward to the last three badges and the Elite Four and the Champion and all that stuff. And I'm looking forward to who will emerge from this game as, uh, you know, the the ones I'll want to move forward and eventually get uh, in my copy of uh, Sun and Moon and all that. Cool. I'm glad it turned out to be a positive experience in the end. Yeah, in the end, you know, like you said, I kind of had to do a little course correction for myself, and and we'll see if when Sun and Moon come out, if I can make the Nuzlocke work in that format. But uh, yeah, so that's all I got to say about that game. Uh, unless you guys have any other questions for me, I think we can move on to what Steven's playing. So had you not played Blue in any way before this? Uh, I had played it for about an hour okay. in... Uh, 1998 or whatever it was <laughs> sure. just because I was like everyone you know below the age of 13 is freaking out about this Pokemon game what is all this about and I remember trying it for that hour and for the first 30 minutes I was like oh you know this is, is kind of cool you know and some cute little animals and then after 60 minutes I was just like nah yeah. not, <laughs> not my thing this is for kids man I'm a, I'm a cool teenager man <laughs> PlayStation, are you ready, man? <laughs> Dateboards. Yeah. See, I I did, I came to Pokemon with Pokemon Yellow um, a few months after its original release 
when I, it was, I think Paul and I had known each other because this is at university for me. So I would have been 19 or 20. Hmm. And Paul's like, you've never played Pokemon? I'm like, <laughs> what's a Pokemon? And no, stop talking. And the next thing I know, I started playing and I'm like, wow, this is actually pretty decent. And nice. so I was, and I anticipated the release of, of, um, silver gold, and gold. So, yeah. And, Paul and I and his girlfriend at the time were all going to get the game on release day and oh, the man. walk over to the local Zellers, which is a now defunct uh, uh, shopping store like uh, Walmart mm-hmm. in Canada. On our walk over there, we were debating who was going to buy what version so we could maximize oh, wow. our trading powers. Sounds <laughs> so fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now, now Paul's mad at me because I have no interest in buying the new games. So, Well, he should be. Well, that's what we're here for. Oh, thank you guys. I appreciate that. <laughs> Presuming he's getting moon because I'm probably going to get sun. Oh, okay. He always gets mooned. I mean moon. <laughs> ah, Canadian hobbies. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I suppose I should segue that into... Uh, into so, my... Stephen, do you happen to be playing any video games at this time? Not ones that include bare asses. What's a Bulby? What? <laughs> So, uh, I actually have a game that I just realized I should have put in my in my uh, outline. No, 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 my outline. Because <laughs> I'm just trolling this game. So oh, let's. Oh yeah, no, no. Um, I'm not going to. Are this we going yet. there? No, are, are we getting there now? We're we're making a little deviation right now. Okay. Okay. I between the last episode and this one, I completely finished 100% Shantae and the Pirates Curse. Ooh. So when I was, I think this was. Right around E3, I, just before E3, I started picking it up, I think, because I was taking a trip to um, Muncie, Indiana for a, a business-related venture, and um, there's not a lot to Selling do there, drugs. so I Selling figured drugs. I needed a new game to play, and I had this one from one of the Humble Bundles, and uh, and I started playing it, and I now understand what all the fun is about with Shantae <laughs> in the series. It's actually a pretty cool platformer. Yeah. Right on. So Shantae and the Pirate's Curse is the third in the series, so it's a bit um, deep into its storyline that I was kind of not privy to, and I'm kind of piecing it together now. Run which, me down. What are the three so far? Uh, I think see. I own two of them, but I haven't I don't know if I can recall from memory. There's Shantae and the Pirate's Curse, of course. There's uh, Shantae Risky's Revenge. Okay. There is... Um, is Half Genie Hero not out yet? Yeah, that's the one that's in progress. Okay. And then, and then there's, there's the Game Boy one? Uh, yeah, that might be just the original Shantae. Right. Um, so that was, Shantae was 2000. Oh, that probably makes sense, yeah. Shantae was 2002. Shantae Risky's Revenge was 2010. Then Shantae and the Pirate's Curse, 2014. And now we have Half Genie Hero coming out this year. Wow. When does it come out? I do not know. Okay. I don't know the specifics. But I will probably try to be there when it does because... I found this to be quite an enjoyable game. It's got really beautiful art and then uh, pixel graphics. Um, it's colorful. The the animations are, are relatively nice, and it like the the stages fit the characters. Like I don't like platformers where honestly this is one of the reasons I don't like Donkey Kong sixty or Donkey Kong Country as much as other people because I don't feel like the the graphics meet like they I don't I just don't think they work well with the stages and stuff. Like, I don't know exactly where my feet are at any given time in that, in the DKC games, that kind of stuff. Here, it all felt very clean, almost Mario-like. 
and it, it also has a bit of a Metroid feel to it, because in this game anyway, you've lost a bunch of your genie powers, I guess that's a maybe a story, story spoiler, but it relates to past games in some degree, and so you kind of end up obtaining new items which were Risky... No, is Risky the... I forget. The Pirate. Risky Boots? I don't know if... Yeah, I think Risky Boots was the Pirate. That's uh, the... The, like, evil-looking one. The bad yeah, one. the Purple Pirate Lady. Okay. So, yeah, she um, she and you kind of team up in this game, sort of, and you end up retrieving a bunch of her items, and, you, and they just make you more powerful. And, of course, in past levels that you've gone through, you can then access more areas. There's... Like uh, this kind of, uh, I forget what the kind of sword is called. It's just like the, one of those really curved swords that, like, you see. Scimitar? Like a, yeah. I believe scimitar. it's a scimitar. Yeah. yeah. So you have a scimitar, which allows you to do, like, down, almost like butt bounces, but with a sword. So, like, uh, a very sharp version of the DuckTales bounce, so to speak. Uh, you can do special jumping. Um, you get a, a, a gun, a revolver at some points. So you get long range attacks. I just thought it was cool in general. Her main attack is to whip her hair because she's got the long, <laughs> flowing hairs. And you can up, you can use shampoo to make it stronger and quicker. I just thought that was kind of funny. But just the way that you you level up your your attacks, and then in doing so, you're not only better against the characters or the enemies, but you also get these power ups that help you traverse the, the stages. I love that kind of gameplay. So I was really sucked in by this and. Th- I have a lot of games to play right now. Splatoon is something that eats up a lot of my Wii U time, so I don't get into that so much. But on the 3DS, man, this just dominated. I, I stopped getting my badges every day from the badge arcade. I just It didn't matter anymore. I was just playing this. So it was a fun game. I think it took me about 14 hours to beat all the way through. That's what I did. Uh, I used a teeny bit of help to find the last couple of uh, items. I think it was like one heart and one um, cackle bat or whatever they were. Uh, to get the 100% of the dark magic and 100% of the heart squids um, so I could have 100% completion. But I still you know, found every item, beat every level, and the boss battle, the final boss battle was very fun. The boss battles in general were, were pretty enjoyable. The stages were varied and unique. Uh, the characters I met along the way were definitely interesting, um, which I think most of them were from previous games. But I just love the world that we're in. It's pretty neat. So have, have either of you guys played any of these in the series, or do you just know about them? I've heard of them, and that's about as much as as far as I can go with it. But I have to admit, you're making it sound pretty intriguing. Yeah. I um I purchased slash was given uh, the previous two, so Pirates Curse and Risky's the other Revenge. one, yeah, Risky's Revenge. Um. And I played the first, uh, I played about 15 minutes of uh, Pirate's Curse, and I was like, yep, this looks freaking amazing. So um, I'm just really looking forward to eventually carving out the time to just uh, binge the whole, the whole series. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, I would be totally shocked if I, if I didn't love it. So it looks really, really good. I think that binging the whole series would be really fun. Because I can just tell that, I mean, the way I feel right now, I wish I had more to play. So, and I guess I could if I went back to other ones. But uh, this seems like one of those kind of franchises where the games aren't that long, but they do have you wanting more. And it's not like it, there was enough content. I, I just after fourteen hours, I still wish that there was more to do in that game. But 
Yeah. Um, the only criticism that I've heard from people on this game, honestly, was the art direction a little bit. Uh, all the female characters tend to have very busty chests, and they're very sexualized, not in like a pornographic way. I mean, cleavage is all over the world, but um, I can see where some people might criticize that. There are some beefcake-type men in there. It's just, to me, it's a stylistic choice. Uh, it was more funny than anything because the artist felt that you know they should do that for the whole thing. And I guess if you've ever seen like I Dream a Genie, that old TV show, it's kind of like mm-hmm. taking that to an extreme. You know, it's kind of it is a bit of a men's fantasy type thing. But um, frankly, to me, it didn't diminish the powerfulness of Shantae as a character or the meaningfulness of all the other female characters that were in the game. So it, all all it really opened the door was for a couple gratuitous. Uh, like um, Princess Leia references, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, and to that point in that part of the game, there's even some stealth aspect where you have to sneak around uh, a castle and you can't get caught because you're trying to collect and freeze. You're trying to free some people and collect your items again. And it was a, um, an interesting middle ground for the game where about halfway through you have to do some things without your weapons. So I thought it was a really balanced game. And I, like I said, just wanted to throw the shot out there and I, I played it from start to finish before the last show, so it wasn't on my mind when I created the outline. Got it. So that said, I'll move on to the game that I did intend to talk about mostly. We don't have to talk about it too long, um, but I will have to force us to wait about 16 to 17 seconds before we start talking, just kind of dead air, uh, so we can mimic the feel of playing this game with its <laughs> load times. So oh. please just wait. You, you, you might want a few more seconds, huh? You know, I did some measurements, though. It's about 17 to 21 seconds, depending on if you're going to the main menu or the levels. And I should say, we're not talking about Shantae anymore. We are talking about Mighty Number no. 9. Number 9. So, <laughs> believe it or not, that game actually came out. and It's happening, people. Man, you sound like the bad voice acting in the game. Uh <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can talk about this one for a while. <laughs> yeah, so I figured I'd start the conversation by just saying my ex- my background experience with the Kickstarter. I think it's pretty clear to people the notoriousness of this Kickstarter. It was my very first Kickstarter that I ever adhered to and supported. And, um, you know, it, it really opened the door to me actually supporting what now is probably up to like 15 Kickstarters for various board games or video games and a few other kinds of projects. Uh, I just found it to be so exciting when, when we were all supporting Inafune and it was going to be a Mega Man successor. There was so much positive energy behind it that it felt so promising. Um, then years go by, delays happen. I obviously was bummed about that, but I was still, you know, the whole Miyamoto trope of, you know, a good game that's delayed is good forever, but a bad game release or whatever the hell it was, you know, you know <laughs> fool me once. Yeah. Shame. Yeah. <laughs> shame on Miyamoto. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially something like that. Don't release a bad game because you can't fix it. And so I was okay with that. But one thing that did concern me was the survey issue because I didn't get the first surveys and in the end it didn't matter because they were all null anyway. But what happened is that I was one of those people who had opted out of survey monkeys uh, emails and God, you know, I don't have memory of that shit from like two years ago or whatever. And so I wasn't getting the emails for the recent ones where they were trying to get us to pick our platform. And then everyone else was going to be defaulted to Steam if you didn't do it. So, man, with the last couple of days left, I was frantically trying to email these guys. And they did get to me eventually. And we got them all worked out. And so I, I was able to get on the Wii U. 
Of course, I didn't get a chance of playing it right away, but I heard about it crashing systems. And, man, Inafune has just... I mean, not, not one man. I mean, the team in general. But they just have released something that definitely has such a concerning start. Um, it hasn't sold me on Kickstarters in general because I've, I've had so many successful ones. I was happy to support, uh, you know, Matthew Triforce Bun in his various endeavors. Uh, Kickstarter is a fantastic platform, but man, I don't know. I, I almost got burned and maybe I did get burned. I spent $40 for the, for that tier, which got me like the soundtrack, the art book, the guide and the game. And that's where I will now move to. And, uh, Dave, you can jump in with me here. Sure. Um, I think first of all, the main thing that I wanted to do is mention that this game does not look like it took $4 million to produce. Yeah. I am not a game maker, so I don't mean to judge, but holy right. crap, man. Like it, the Wii U version must be one of the worst looking versions because there's all this aliasing and weird outlines and the, and the animations are like incomplete. The game just feels incomplete graphically and stylistically. And uh, considering how much time and effort was spent showing us the 2D art and like, oh, look at the great characters we're designing in the emails from the Kickstarter because there's like 50 plus updates. Uh, right. I really expected a lot more from this game. I know for myself, my, my experience with, in reference to the preceding the release of the game was that I saw it at the 2015 E3 and I got interested in it then, pre-ordered it then through Amazon.ca with their, you know, pre-order E3 um, savings sale thingy that they had on the go. And when I was talking to a couple guys about it later, like, oh, you didn't even know about this game? It's been going on on Kickstarter, this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, oh, crap, that's amazing. And now that it's here and with us, I tend to, and I've been reading more about it, listening to a person like yourself, Stephen, who's, who actually funded the, with the Kickstarter, I can understand the flack that <laughs> it's receiving. And as an off, uh, as a slight aside to that, when the game was, bef- I had gotten my shipping email, my shipping confirmation email that was on the way, and I just happened upon uh, a video review on IGN, and I understand some people don't care for IGN, but regardless, I was watching their video review, and I liked how the one guy phrased it as being, this is the most disappointing game of all history. And he said, I want you to understand that I mean disappointing, not bad. Because it isn't a bad game, but given all the hype, all the delays, all the money, you'd think that after this long of a production lead time with this much funding, it would have come out better. Mm -hmm. And so I liked how he quantified what he was saying by that it wasn't bad but disappointing considering all those things yeah pretty much every single point that i made when i was trying to summarize for the podcast how i felt everything had like a this is good but yeah and every every single sentence has that you know like like the soundtrack is pretty good but i'd rather switch to the 8-bit one because that's a little bit better mm-hmm. uh the boss designs are really cool but getting there can be kind of a pain in the ass sometimes uh, things, you know, I mean, you could, maybe you can do that with anything, but. Yeah. But to go with the graphics again, one more time, the four plus years or however long this thing took, the four million dollars, these things just look like they were, I don't know, I guess it's it's almost unfair to them right now because I'm looking at like the ukulele team over at Platonic Games and what they've done in just a year. Yeah. It's like, God dang. And they, they had, 
maybe half the funding of that. Sure. And and this is a 2D game, which I'm not not to negate that. Uh, 2D does not mean that it's necessarily easier or uh, simpler to make games look great than a, than a 3D game. I mean, a, a good developer can do it regardless of what kind of style the game's going for. But, I mean, with all the history of the Mega Man franchise to go off of, and clearly, clearly that's what's happening here. It's, oh, no, no secret there, yeah. You'd think that they would have worked to improve upon all that as opposed to just get by. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like that's what they're doing. And, and the thing that does chat my ass is I really do feel like genuinely that Inafune and his team, or maybe Inafune alone, felt that it was more worthwhile to keep drawing these really cool things that would eventually end up in an art book than actually making the game assets look better. Because, mm-hmm. again, all the 2D art, I, I did look through the PDF art book that I got because of the Kickstarter level that I backed at. And if you look at just some of the materials we've seen promo-wise to the Kickstarter emails and all that, the 2D drawings look amazing. I love it. I, I love the style of the bosses. I think some of the enemies are creative and cool. It looks like things that I would have expected out of a Mega Man game, but even potentially better. Mm-hmm. But then the real life assets just look like ass. Mm-hmm. Ass. Mm-hmm. You know? I see what you did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I felt a little miffed that if, if he was going to be so adamant about like voice acting, which I think there was a second Kickstarter for that, just oh, to fund the really? voice acting. Yeah. Oh, my God. That you, maybe they'd animate a fucking mouth or two. <laughs> and And the... I guess they had different languages of, of the the voice acting, but I just, I don't know, the whole thing is just not polished enough. You know, you polish a turd, <laughs> and, and you I You put lipstick this... on a pig, and it's still a pig, yeah. I yeah. <laughs> well, now, I will fully admit, and at this point I feel like it was not necessarily the wrong decision, but I have not paid close attention to any of this. Like, very early on, I kind of was like, you know, it's it's cool that, you know, the creator of Mega Man is making something that is like Mega Man. But to me, it just still, it wasn't going to be Mega Man. Like, it was, I was interested in it, but I was not, you know, really riding high the way a lot of people were. So I just, I, I never, I, I was kind of waiting for something to, to really hook me. And it just never came because as we've established, things just sort of started gradually decaying in terms of that, that goodwill right. and everything. So, I am not uh, an expert on on the happenings of this process, but what I'm just baffled by, and I don't want to like overstate this, uh, but like, how can the guy who invented Mega Man mess up a Mega Man game? Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how I'm not asking rhetorically. Like, how did this happen? This, it almost, this, this should be something that this guy should be able to make in his sleep because from what I do know about game development, uh, it, it's, you know, I don't see anything going on in this game that really is that technically, uh, demanding or challenging or breaking new ground, you know, such that would allow for, you know, some, uh, you know, some inexperienced mistakes or something like that. Like this, I don't get it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to create a term really quick and then Dave, I'll let you talk. So I know sure. you got something loaded, but, no worries. uh, I'm going to create a word called disingenuous. Disingenuous? Disingenuous. Oh, sorry. So, Inafune was a genius with his yes. creation of Mega Man. <laughs> but this interpretation of that is very disingenuous, I think. 
I like it. And like so it. he good. is quite the disingenuous. <laughs> I like Go that. Go ahead, Dave. That's right. I'm not sure how to follow that, but um, <laughs> I find that uh, in reference to what Joe was saying, that it just feels like Inafune was pulling himself or pushing himself or in many different directions all at the same time, that instead of really focusing his efforts and energies on, like like you had made the point, Stephen, of just make a good game. Just make a good game, and then the rest we can figure it out later. Right. Because I think he was so intrigued by all the filigree around a game. Like, let's bring back the old school way of doing things. Like, we're going to give you a manual. We're going to give you a strategy guide, an art book, and all these things to to give you the feel of a SNES release, so to speak. That he dropped the ball on the fact that the part that the that people really want more than anything else is a fun, playable game. Oh, right. I mean, most of his updates were about how great the designing was coming along for the bosses and sharing yeah. that, that, you know, that uh, journey with everyone else. And I'm sure that's what he was trying to relive, but it's almost like he was re- reliving a fantasy that, he lost some time ago. And then in the end, it's like, oh, shoot, we actually have to produce something for these people. Like I find for, for myself, and I, and I can only speak for myself on this, that the gameplay itself really isn't that bad. It's not perfect. No. It's the, the level designs kind of get unnecessarily a little bit muddled for, for what I can see. Mm-hmm. And it's not that any of that's really the end of the world. But I keep coming back in my mind to what the guys from IGN would say, where it's just like you had this much lead time. You had this much money to work with. And you can argue 2D, 3D, or graphics this or graphics that. I'm I'm willing to suffer some crappy graphics if the gameplay is solid. If I'm not feeling like I'm fighting the game my way through it, I don't care how pretty it is at that point. I don't care how amazing the music is i enjoy all those things don't don't take me wrong but i'll happily play an atari 2600 game if the gameplay is good (laughs) yeah for me the the dash mechanic is actually pretty cool no argument to me that's an upgrade from the Mega Man series so i like that idea but what would trip me up from the beginning and still gives me some pause now is this idea that when i'm killing an enemy uh, I can kill it partway and then absorb it, but then I can also end up killing it all the way, right. and I get less points if I kill it all the way. Because it's it's gen- generally clear if they're ready to be absorbed, but it's not always when you're fighting like five guys at once or a big swarm of enemies. It's not really clear, so you just end up like mashing buttons mm-hmm. and and maybe dashing back and forth. If you're on like a small platform over a pit, you can accidentally dash yourself into oblivion so so quickly. And then wait for your respawn. Which is to... about 16 to 17 seconds, oh, last I Lord. measured. It, it yeah. takes so much time. Absolutely. Even though you're respawning to the same area, too. You're not even actually going to the start of the level. You know, they're True. not preloading the whole thing, per se. And and really, to, to make a point, it was over... I think it was... Well, no. Shoot. I don't have it in front of me. It, it was still 16 to, to like 18 seconds to load the options menu from the main menu. Right. Like, why do you need to do that? Yeah. It's just inefficient. Maybe that's just the Wii U. I don't know if the other versions have that issue, but... Yeah, uh, that I can't speak to. I haven't I haven't read or played... the Read about or played the other versions of the game, so I can't speak to if, if that changes. Yeah. But back to the gameplay. The dash mechanic is pretty much the only new thing they've done here. Yep. But I do enjoy it. Um, 
personally, I just don't like the the score attack aspect that kind of is infused in the main game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't give a shit that I'm getting C's and D's on all my levels, not even in the slightest. I just want to experience it, fight through the the enemies, you know, do the fun platforming aspects, and then and then fight some bosses that are hopefully creative. Uh, in general, the enemy design is is not bad. It's pretty cool. You know, I I don't have too many qualms about that. I think the enemy placement was kind of rushed in some cases. There's, I just fought on a level that was on a freeway. Okay. Just last night, it was for the the blade boss, and I don't even need that to make any sense. But it was on a highway, and so you're kind of fighting car to car, truck to truck on the top of these things. There's this one sequence where like a bunch of these weird, I guess they're like, you know, uh, like highway signs almost, but like futuristic flying ones. They just fly over you. Half of them, if not more, fly right over you without you doing anything. So you'd have to shoot like two of them that are in front of you. One of them is even in a, in a position that it hits the front of the truck and never even hits you. Oh, fun. So I just feel like that was just slapped together. Maybe maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was completely intentional. I'm just missing the point. But that really spoke to me as like, this really was not considered too well. They, they threw a bunch of stuff together, then just bug tested to make sure it functioned, and then kind of move forward with it. Mm. Um, I definitely switched to nine lives instantly because of that cheap dash death stuff, or maybe I just can't handle the dash, but I didn't want to deal with having only two lives and just barely making it. I, I want at least a couple lives to go with the boss, you know, with each, in each stage. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, I felt that the game in general does very little to explain anything. So you really have to go through these these long loads to the different options and, and learn the different things through that or use the guide that it might come with. Uh, the Excel powers or whatever they're called, I don't I don't remember what they're called. I know Excel is like your regeneration. Right. Which, by the way, I've used Excel regeneration one and two, and they both seem to function the exact same. So I have no idea what the difference is right now. Um but the, the powers themselves, some of them are cooler than others, which, hey, that was how Mega Man as a series was, too. You know, I can't knock that too much. Um, I'm enjoying just the themes, really. And I don't know. The bosses, to me, are my favorite part of the game, I think. I don't know how you feel about that. I guess, quite frankly, I haven't... Uh, I kept dying by misused dash attacks mm-hmm. to the point that by the time I realized what time it was, I realized that, that part of my problem was what time it was. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of bailed on it. So I haven't quite gotten that far. Uh, far in. I've only played. I think I've only put about about an hour or so into the game. Okay. And, well, and so I can't speak to as much detail as you can. I, I've probably put in closer to four or five now. Okay. And I'm through many of the stages. Uh, maybe closer to four because I mean I'm not taking too long in each stage, but I have been playing it over short bursts um, the past week. And uh, I was where you were at your time, and I'm still there. So you're not. I don't think your opinion's going to change much. Yeah. Um, like I, I guess. Uh, sorry, Stephen. No, go ahead. I was just going to say. I mean, if I was to wrap up my opinion on this, is I'm glad I have it. I'm glad that it exists. It's not worth as much money as they're asking. And if a person was able to come across it previously played for you know ten, fifteen bucks then they should totally get it. It's totally worth that. Mm-hmm. But, and I mean, you can even forget the history if you're lucky enough, like Joe, that you were able to avoid all of it. Whether it be secondhand, like I I got all of my information secondhand, or like Stephen, who experienced it 
firsthand for himself. If you weren't party to any of that, then you can just pick up a game that it is, doesn't cost you a lot of money and kind of work your way through and go, okay, it's not perfect, but well, I only paid 10, 15 bucks for it, so whatever. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. for me though, looking at it, I just don't know why I would play this instead of uh, not even the original Mega Man series, but like any number of the Mega Man X series, you know, like those. I see what you're saying. Like some of those are do the same thing where they they have like some interesting unique mechanics that maybe are fun and maybe are flawed and you know like to me this looks like Mega Man X seven or something like that you know like yeah so I I don't know what what this is offering me that I couldn't have found you know used at GameStop ten years ago kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel mild regret for backing it for $40 US, but at the same time, it was so long ago, I can't be too miffed, you know. I got $40 to, for, to give the game, the art book, the strategy guide, the soundtracks, and to have fun with, you know, being on the front of the ride that was this Kickstarter and this experience. So, it's true. You know, I it think is either it way, is. like, no matter what, this is going to be a historically, um, relevant, uh, game you know what yeah. i mean yeah. uh but this is a sorry joe go ahead well i just i just wanted to finish that thought by saying that i you know i i also i think you know steven does a really good job of this uh all the time but i don't want to be totally gloom and doom about it because my biggest question at this point is where does inafone and this franchise then go from here and that might seem like a weird question because i feel like some people are like Oh, it goes right down the toilet is where it goes and we never right. speak of this again. But I don't, <laughs> I don't know that it's, that anything is, is really worth that kind of reaction, you know? So to me, I feel like though I have no real explanation for why this result is what it is, you know, I, what I'm most curious then about is so, okay, can he bounce back and would mighty number nine point two be like you know what we were hoping for the whole time or can he make like a mighty number nine remastered that kind of you know fixes these issues um or or is he gonna just like turn tail and be like screw this i I tried and you know that's where my head is at i i want to know what what comes next and and what good can be salvaged from this experience it does seem that he Inafune is trying to, you know, as hard as it might be to swallow, he was, he's trying to appreciate the fans' opinions. You know, he's not like, I don't think he's completely dismissing it, is he? I, I don't know, to be honest. What little I've heard from him, he seems to not be very uh, upset one way or the other. He just yeah. seems to kind of be rolling with the whole thing. Yeah. So I don't know what that means, but. Well, I, for his ego, that's probably for the best. What I would like to see is maybe he does something new. You know, stop stop trying to ride the coattails of your past fame and just give us something different. Maybe that's what we needed all along. It is it is kind of a shame though, because I do feel like there is there has been that vacuum of like I don't know about you guys, but like I was not tired of Mega Man games, or at least that, that style of game. And I was also not tired of 2D or at least more classic, even in the 3D mode, 
Castlevania games. And so to me, it's also very in- interesting what um, Igarashi, is that his name, hmm. is doing with, uh, is it called Bloodstained? Yeah, the Castlevania-esque like yeah. title. Yeah, so I was kind of like, I kind of am excited about the idea of of a of a gaming landscape where these creators, who you could argue the mainstream has left them behind and and moved beyond, you know, Mega Man Castlevania, where these guys are able to go to something like Kickstarter or at least some more niche uh, source of revenue and provide that kind of content. Like that's supremely exciting to me. That is a valid use of the the technology that we have and digital distribution if that's the only way it can be financially feasible you know that that makes sense to me that's exciting and to have it sort of yeah you know play you know kind of like not really get off the ground at least this time that's uh you know that's a that's a letdown i'm with you on that joe it, it, i agree with you completely in the sense that I'm not sure I'm tired of these games yet. Right. You know, like the fact that Mega Man 9 and 10 happened as virtual console titles, um, I'm like, well, I'm just happy they happened at all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, yeah. The, like the collector in me who, who has a retro room, who, who yep. has the physical copies of all these things, dreams of a day when someone at Capcom goes, you know what? Why the hell not? Let's just slap them on a DS card and send them out on their way. You're preaching you know, I, to the choir, my like, friend. I, I would, I would adore something like that. And we, can, and we as the fans can sit here and argue. Well, there is no reason on a D- 3DS card you couldn't fit Mega Man's one through ten. <laughs> yeah, really. And that may be accurate and all yeah. that, but until there's a willingness from from the companies that be to do so, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. But that being said, you asked earlier, like, what is the draw to this game for me versus something I could have picked up at GameStop 10 years ago? Well, I guess at the risk of stating something perhaps a little obvious here, now we're 10 years in, Sure, it, you can't find those games at GameStop yeah. quite as easily, so what's your alternative for a similar price point is what you would have been willing to pay then. Right, yeah. You know, and, and like I say, I come down on the fact that the game may be disappointing, but that doesn't make it bad. It has oh, yeah. its quirks and it has its detractions about it. I mean, this will be this will be our generation's Duke Nukem or <laughs> or Atari. You know, where the where the story about how the game came into being yeah. will trump almost any aspect of the game, good or bad. Sure. Like I said, I almost feel like in my backing of the Kickstarter, I got to pay for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Definitely. Which is uh, good. I mean, I kind of like how ukulele is just kind of, instead of giving me a lot of drama, it's just kind of giving me cool updates on occasion. Yeah. But, you know, teach their own. Um, but to your point, I am, it's, it's, it is a disappointing game, so wholeheartedly, but I'm excited to go back and play some tomorrow and try to end it. I want to beat the game. I, I, I'm looking forward to having this on my list of games I beat this year because I do keep a yearly list of here's what I beat in what month, just out of curiosity. And man, this has been a slow year for completion, but at the same time, Splatoon still kills all my free time, <laughs> uh, which is slowly winding down now, but it's not to Mighty Number no. 9's fault, really, but uh, I'm, I'm having fun for the most part. I mean, I just, yeah, yeah, accept the flaws. I'm taking it what it is. I'm not expecting it to be Mega Man 11. Yeah. Uh, I just think that maybe some of the creators had that in mind and completely under-delivered 
And so in that aspect, it's disappointing. But I'm having fun for what's there. And I think we as the fans, let's not kid ourselves. Because everyone also heard it's Inafune who created Mega Man. It's the spiritual successor to Mega Man. So instantly that is ringing in our ears. And when it wasn't that, maybe our expectations were a little too high. I mean, you can argue it one way or the other. I mean, I think this is one of those stories in that respect where there are so many angles with which you could attack it. You're never going to be right or wrong yeah. on it. Well, you know, uh, I, I had a few other points I wouldn't even bother making, really. We kind of moved past some of this stuff um, with Money Number 9. But one thing I want to say, have you guys heard of or followed Nefarious by Josh Hanno, also a Kickstarter title? I've heard of it mostly through you. Okay, so uh, Dave, have you heard of this game or no? I've heard of, and that's about the end of it. So Nefarious, just a quick recap for folks, is a game that Josh Hanno uh, had on Kickstarter, I think, last year. And, uh, you know, Josh is a friend of uh, Matthew Taranto, you know, of um, Mm -hmm. Trouble fame and all that good stuff. And so he has his own game. And in this game, you play as essentially like the bad guy from a Mega Man type game. And you have to kidnap princesses, a la every other kind of trope. But um, but you actually will fight as the boss, and then you're fighting the heroes who are trying to rescue these princesses that you're kidnapping. And it's it's it plays a lot like a Mega Man game in the sense that you're shooting things and you're running through two D you know side scrolling levels and everything. And if you look at the Kickstarter, it, it's got some nice graphical quality to it, but it definitely looks underdeveloped. But the latest trailer, man, looks fantastic. And when I go to this Kickstarter and I look at what it backed for, it just barely. By $331, and I remember this because I, I was part of this as well. I was there for the final clock ticking down. It was kind of exciting to watch us pull through because uh, they were not looking that they were going to get the funding, but out of you know the midnight hour, they did. And uh, they only asked for $50,000. They got $50,331. <laughs> and this game looks, to me, loads better from a uh, delivering on your promise standpoint and maybe even a polish standpoint than even Money Number Nine did. So what I think happened is Inafune was really excited and genuinely interested in maybe doing something else in in the vein of his past hits. Uh, he was psyched about doing the art and really reimagining things, being the idea guy. But man, he was not prepared to actually, without Capcom, execute this thing properly. And when he realized how much hype he had built up, for better or worse, this is what happened. And like you said. We all had our own ideas of what this should be, let alone what he was hyping it up to be. And man, just nobody would be happy with it. Yeah. Just impossible. So, you know, that sucks. But at the same time, like I said, if you can get it for maybe cheaper on disc or hell, if you if you like this kind of gameplay, it's not necessarily a bad thing. As long as you go into it expecting, you know, a mediocre package, mm-hmm. but it can be fun. And that's really all I really look for in a game at the at the core. So, so that uh, went on for quite a while. I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to add, but no, I think that kind of covers that one. So uh, we we'll touch upon this super quick. The other game I've been playing now that uh, Shantae is over is just Box Box Boy for the 3DS. It's uh, the sequel puzzler to Box Boy. Um, very creative titling there, and. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't have much to say. I'm at World 8, Stage 5. The game plays pretty fast. Um, I have found myself starting to get stuck on a few levels for a little while. Um, I enjoy the nonverbal story. That It's pretty much the same thing as Box Boy, though. So there's not really too much new. They kind of pick up where the first game left off, but I'm 
all the gimmicks I've come across pretty much are the same now. The only difference is that in this version, uh, you start off with the power of creating two different sets of blocks, which you kind of earn at the very end of the, the first one. And um, it just it's just fun puzzle action. So if you if you like puzzlers and kind of unique, simplistic art styles and uh, soundtracks, this game is probably for you. Uh, even your own costumes from the first game transfer over if you manage to, to get a lot of them in that. And uh, I can't really argue. This has been a fun diversion for me. Cool. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah, so like I said, super quick. That's all. Uh, it was like a minute. And I guess we can uh, take a quick break here. And then we'll come back. Some super quick what do you think stuff. And then we'll have a main topic. back everybody uh we'll do this what do you think really quick this kind of sporadic segment where i ask what do you think about random stuff going on in the nintendo world um this is kind of my way to to almost mention topics that are not really worth real topics so uh what do you think number one so the final splatfest for splatoon is happening the weekend of july 22nd it is callie versus marie who are the squid sisters and they're kind of a official unofficial mascot of the splatoon series uh so my question to you guys i know you guys don't really play this but i sent you a link to a picture of them both uh callie is in the purple and marie is in the green uh who would you pick who would be your side if you were to be part of the Splatfest? um i would go with either of them okay and i would be very confident in my choice <laughs> okay joe Ah, green's my favorite color. Marie looks a little more reasonable. (laughs) You know, like I feel like I could have a conversation with her. Hmm. Callie might be a little too um, intense for me. Okay. So uh, I think you could handle it. Well, we would be mortal enemies then because I'm on Team Callie. Oh, man. uh, Death to Team Callie. Callie Callie looks kind of like a vampire almost. Um, Marie forever. Marie looked too much like a grandmother. So I care a lot deeply. So about let me this thing. let me ask this: Which you guys <laughs> may have no comments on this either, but the fact that Nintendo is ending the Splatfest in general, do you think that's kind of a weird move? Or you know, should they end the Splatfest, which were these occasional events, and maybe they take some effort to orchestrate? But uh, it kind of is a is an it's an event that rallies everyone who loves Platoon together like once a month once every two months kind of thing it just was peculiar so what do you think about them ending splatfests dave i would have to answer your question with another with a question in that how many people are they drawing because if they're drawing a like what would seem to be a fairly large contingent of people then it's a shame to end them if however the numbers have been gradually and steadily going down over the inception of them then 
maybe it doesn't hurt anything to, to end them. As far as I know, uh, they garner quite a bit of attention okay. in, in every region. But one thing that does concern me a little bit about that is one of the ones they had recently, a few split, uh, Splatfests ago, they actually combined all the regions into one, which I wonder if they did that to help make it more uh, logistically better for everyone to be able to match up with people from around the, the globe. But they did split it back up, so I, it would tell me that there's enough North American Splatoon players to warrant a Splatfest just for them, same for Europe, and then same for Japan. Um, I I feel like every time that they announce a new one or carry it out, I mean, I, I definitely, definitely see an activity and attention spike uh, through my Twitter and through just talking to other Nintendo gamers uh, who, who are playing Splatoon religiously, which is a lot of the people I know. I mean, the Splatoon is still, like, going strong for a lot of those people, so... Um, I'm actually really surprised, really, really surprised that they're ending it, uh, right now because I feel like it's been one of the things that's been consistently keeping a Nintendo game on the forefront of people's minds and, and, you know, just getting little, little headlines every now and then. So I'm, you know, I'm really wondering, like, are, are they, are they, gearing up for like a Splatoon 2 NX launch title and they want people to be thirsty for these again. Like that's the only thing I can think of because I can't imagine it really costs that much money or time or resources to put these together, right? Yeah, I mean all the assets are there pretty much. You just change the the locations to more of a night theme. You you've got the same songs and everything. The game plays the same. You just have three levels to choose from instead of two for a day, and uh, it doesn't rotate or anything. But all the, everything's there, and it's been programmed. I've got two schools of thoughts, and then we'll move on. But uh, the first one is that this is the sixteenth Splatfest. They had sixteen levels in the game. Sixteen is a multiple of four and eight and two, and I think that it might have just always been the plan to do sixteen, and that's it. Um, despite the fact that a year later, this game has been out for over a year and it still feels like it just came out because of how hyped people are for this game, myself included. So it is surprising, but I think it is partially that they only just have a plan for this. And then the other part, which might be in tandem, is like you said, I think maybe a Splatoon might be coming out sooner than later in the NX's life. Because it's just like Mario Kart, this is a series that you want sooner than later. So you can milk it the whole run. You, you don't want to release it the year, the last year of the console, right. which they more or less did with the uh, Wii U. So I think keeping it quiet, letting it die down a little bit, will keep the thirst going for when uh, Splatoon 2 happens and then Splatfests are even cooler, you know, in the next one. So it's a bummer, but at the same time, the online's still all there. So there's a lot of awesome gameplay to, to be had. So uh, let's move on to the other. What do you think? Uh, Pokemon Go is live in the U.S., uh, well, North America in general, and also available in Australia and New Zealand as of this recording. Are either of you guys going to pick this up? Dave? I don't have a smartphone, so no. Okay. Uh, Smart answer. Joe? Uh, I actually downloaded it last night, installed it last night, tried it out this afternoon. Um, I thought it was okay. I'll I'll save a more in-depth review for another time, but... um, for me, uh, one step up from not having a smartphone is having a smartphone without an unlimited data plan. 
<laughs> which means I can use the game within range of Wi-Fi access points. Otherwise, I have to um, so start, centers. start worrying about how much I'm paying. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll, I'll have to see if that fits into both my life and the gameplay, just just working within available Wi-Fi, uh, which it might. So, uh, I had a friend online who already told me that he's gotten pretty far on the same um, format. So I'll see how it goes. Okay. Cautiously optimistic for, for right now. For myself, I find myself completely disinterested. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to rely on you. Uh, I was I was actually planning to pick up the, the app when it came out. I find the whole UI and, and graphic, well, just just how it all looks, just to me, kind of unappealing. Mm. Um, the second Not that the, the second that the Pokemon Go uh, little device was available for pre-order, I pre-ordered it from Amazon, locked it in during E3 week. And then I did some investigation of what it actually is going to be, and I am not paying thirty five bucks for that. And uh, I don't know. I just I don't see where I would get any gratification out of this game. So I'm curious to see how it works. Um, <laughs> I actually I don't know if you guys know the comedian uh, Heather Ann Campbell. No. She's uh, she's a blonde comedian who was do, has done a lot of Who's Line. Uh, she's done some of the older stuff with Drew Carey, but she's done some of the newer stuff with Aisha Tyler as well. And, um, and a very funny woman. And I'm, I follow her on Twitter and she, her and I had a brief interaction today about Pokemon Go. And, um, pretty much what is, what she's getting out of it is that it's heating her phone up <laughs> because <laughs> it eats up so much juice and so much energy that her phone is right. just constantly hot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have no interest in playing this, but Joe, I hope you do at least dabble in it if you can, because I do want to hear your opinions on it. Sure. And um, I want to hear why I'm right or wrong. So um, I meant to say wrong or right, but I think I Freudian slipped uh, my preference. <laughs> uh, last, last, what do you think? Um, I want to kind of just, I'm just curious. I want to start asking our guests this for the, for the rest of the year. Uh, so pretty much Joe, you and I can have a discussion about this at, at another date. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's many correct answers, but Dave, yes. just specifically to you, what past Nintendo game or franchise, I should say, would you like a sequel to on the upcoming NX? F-Zero. F- okay. Look how quick he was, guys. Well, I, I guess, quite frankly, when I think of the Nintendo franchises that have been used, um, prioritized, and um, given us recent games, I mean, there was a lull for Star Fox. Now we got one. Um, Zelda, as always, is a perennial. I mean, yeah, you can argue that there's delays between the games, but we always get one. We always get plenty of Mario. We're about to get a great Metroid game. Well, we're getting a Metroid <laughs> game. Um, and, and I guess, quite frankly, I, I mean, for myself and myself only, I really enjoyed the Metroid, Metroid Prime series. And when oh, yeah. it ended, I didn't feel we needed more Metroid. I'm like, okay, we've now given it its due. No, that's where you're wrong, but continue. Okay, fine. But you know what? My my opinion was that okay, we've we've get, we've now given it its its uh, perfect games. So what more could we do with that? So I'd like to see F Zero just because I thoroughly enjoyed the series and and it hasn't been touched in quite some time. So I just think it'd be neat to see what uh, what we can garner from that. And even as someone who has very little experience with the franchise, and it's been somewhat negative because I'm not very good at them. But uh, I would like to see that as well. I can I can definitely vouch. I think the fans there's enough fans out there to warrant some attention. And uh, one more thing I want to say about this before we move forward is the reason I even bring this question up is because in some recent I think they were investor meetings 
and this is somewhat translated, I believe, but uh, you know, Nintendo's new president kind of emphasized the fact that what they want to do going forward is is really push the franchises they have, mm-hmm. and not just Mario, Zelda, maybe Metroid or Pikmin or whatever, but F Zero, perhaps Star Fox, more. Um, they want to utilize what they have because they think he feels that they've been kind of sitting on their laurels a little bit too much and not broadening themselves in the name of well, it's not that popular. And that's why we might see movies and cartoons and, and amusement park rides and things like that coming soon. And to some degree, we've seen that already. Like Splatoon, I think it was Splatoon, uh, that actually in Canada, certain like yogurt shops had, or was it Canada or Britain? But somewhere not in the U.S. because I was jealous about it, I think. Uh, or maybe it was kind of, I don't know, somewhere not near Michigan, I should say. Uh, had like Splatoon cups at some yogurt shop. It's Splatoon Spoons, yeah. Like, this kind of cross-promotion of your franchises gets the awareness out there and gets people kind of excited in ways that maybe only Japanese merchandise used to before. And so I think that they would prove themselves well to branch out and have an F-Zero game on the NX, for example. So I'm just curious what you would like to see them do. And uh, I think that's a pretty solid answer for many. So, okay, moving on, that was uh, the end of What Do You Think? Um, I still care what you you think uh, with this next topic, but... Joe, you wanted to discuss something that kind of came up on the Nintemple forums recently. Uh, shout out to the Nintemple crew. Mm-hmm. And it was about Miyamoto's future role with Nintendo and uh, perhaps with Nintendo fans. Right. What I found interesting by this, uh, just as a quick lead-in, is when, I don't know who exactly mentioned it in the first place, but we see Miyamoto all the time. We love the guy. We, we you know He's like our surrogate father for many of us. <laughs> but... The thing is, is his role is constantly changing, and it does kind of feel more diminished as time goes on. And I wonder all the time, really, how important was he, how integral was he to this game, to that game? Yes, his name's attached to a lot of stuff, but is that almost like a marketing situation? Um, he's pretty much a general producer or supervisor these days. So what does that really mean for us, and what does that mean for the future? So I, that's where I kind of took this idea when I first heard about Nintemple. Yeah, well, I um, I, I think where you know the inception of this topic came from, like how it wound up on Nintendo Temple was um, a good guy named Kyle Boston, who now works for a group called Easy Allies, which I think is one of the best games-related media journalist enthusiast peoples out there right now. So I would highly recommend anyone check out their stuff if you haven't already. Um, formerly of Game Trailers. He he has a series called uh, Bossman at Home where he basically just, you know, just talks about whatever's on his mind. And one of his episodes was specifically about this topic and more specifically in light of Star Fox Zero and what some people have come to understand was Miyamoto's role in the development of that game. And of course, that boils down to um, the Star Fox Guard game and then the uh, gamepad controls and just generally the way that, that one controls the game Star Fox Zero, which of course has been very divisive. Um, some people can't get past it, just hate the controls, find it too awkward. Some people say if you give it a chance, get used to it, it becomes second nature and, and really, really a really good way to control the game and, and, and play it very, very well and comfortably. Um, but the point is, at the end of the day, and, and Bossman's point was, 
that he feels right now that Miyamoto has sort of, uh, you know, he was very, very blunt and very unapologetic about it. And he, he sort of uh, said, we all know that he's a legend and a god in gaming. And, and, you know, those accomplishments do not go away. Those should not be tarnished by how much you may or may not like his current decisions. Uh, but that shouldn't mean that his, you know, what he does is, is free of criticism or, or can't be critiqued. You know, I mean, someone doing something amazing in the past doesn't necessarily mean what they're doing now is, is without flaw. So he was basically really taking Miyamoto to task and saying, like, you know, his philosophy is just not working right now. And it's just not what people want in general. These were these were his words, and he was using what he called the failed experiment of the Star Fox Zero controls as sort of Exhibit A. Um, for me, I will say that what Bossman said resonated with me in a lot of ways. Uh, not necessarily in the most harsh interpretation that you know Miyamoto should just like hang it up. I mean, Bossman in in no simple words said you know he feels Miyamoto should retire essentially uh he has no ill will for the guy he just doesn't feel that his contributions today are particularly relevant um but for me I feel like you know I'm excited about Star Fox Zero and the controls because I have a situation where I have a second player ready to go and I think it's going to really work well for that setup but if I didn't have that I can see what people are saying that it would be like a major barrier to me playing a game that I would otherwise be excited to play. And in general, there's been a lot, I think, of that mentality that sort of like uh, has a hand in a lot of things that Nintendo does that keep other gamers at bay, and it sort of keeps them from really going all in on Nintendo because uh, what's a unique novelty to one person is a confusing barrier to another person. And that right now is, you know, that novelty I don't feel is really doing me any favors. And I worry that someone like Miyamoto feels like that has to be there all the time because that's just what Nintendo does if that makes any sense. You know, Nintendo, their sort of brand identity is being different, is being novel, is being unique, is exploring new ways to play and, and, and improve uh, the entire hobby. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that shouldn't be done. But I worry sometimes that Miyamoto in particular feels that has to happen anytime it's remotely possible. And I, you know, I, I would argue that that doesn't have to be the case. That it should only really happen when, when most beneficial. So something like Splatoon, right? You aim by angling the gamepad, correct? You can do traditional controls more or less, but it really mm. is, yeah. I mean, it's it's designed really it's, to do gy- gyro controls, yeah. Yeah, and the people tilt mechanic. and people say that that's like. It really, really works and really adds a lot, right? Like there's, abs- yeah, absolutely. As far as I've heard, I have not heard people who are like, "Oh, I'm a, I use the sticks and it's fine." I mean, I, the people I know who are into that game, they use the gyroscope. 
let me just say, anyone who used to complain about it, because a lot of people did at first, once they actually did give the gyro controls uh, a second, they don't go back. Right, right. You can't be competitive, for one, but also it feels way more intuitive and, and comfortable to to do it that way. Right. So something like that, and I'm sure it's not easy to know when when is the right time to zig and when is the right time to zag, but, uh, you know, I just... I feel like they really have to be very careful uh, and, and really try to focus on, you know, making that decision and just being comfortable sometimes with saying, you know what, this game is just going to, you know, it's not going to have any, you know, real unique thing about it. The unique thing is going to be the quality of the content as opposed to, you know, I don't want to use the word gimmick because it has such negative connotations, but some novelty, let's say. So, so that's sort of the, the, the general aspect. And I, I gotta say, for me, what's underlying the, the whole thing is, like, for example, you know, the kind of thing I've, I've sort of been struggling against ever since I, like, became a real Nintendo fan, you know, ever since I kind of, like, stuck my flag in this particular turf, um, is this feeling like a second class citizen in the larger gaming landscape, which is epitomized by my experience just today, where I go into a GameStop, uh, tried to get Zero Time Dilemma for the 3DS, as we mentioned on the last recording. I didn't know it came out, so I forgot to pre-order it. That was that was my mistake, right? But it only came out a week or two ago, and I went in. GameStop was completely sold out. Uh, their warehouse was completely sold out. Best Buy completely sold out. Warehouse completely sold out. I had to come back home. My only option was to buy it on Amazon, which I have to pay for shipping because I don't have Prime or whatever. Now, any of this on its own is is not necessarily so bad, but this has happened many times when I try to get some of the, you know, anything that's not like a Mario or a Zelda. And what the GameStop guy said to me today was, and I quote, this is why Nintendo gamers have to pre-order because Nintendo sucks. Now that's that's not good, right? Now we can all agree that is uh, a mentality that is undeserved, right? Mm-hmm. But th- that problem, unfortunately, lies not with us and not with that manager, but with Nintendo. Like they they should be. I, I don't know how to put it exactly, but like. That's their nut to crack, you know, like they need to get past that. And I feel like some of the things that Miyamoto brings with his philosophy kind of get in the way. And I don't know, I'm really struggling to like to word this properly because I love all those unique things that Miyamoto provides and, and, well, you know, and the novelty and everything that Nintendo provides. But I also want more than that to be able to go into a store and buy a game. You know what I mean? Well, let me try to help and probably fail to do so. But uh, (laughs) as far as what I'm reading, it's almost like you're saying the times when Miyamoto particularly drives the mentality that, hey, we have these special controls for Star Fox Zero. We're going to make a game around them. And, hey, you know, they're not necessarily working. Uh, I mean, I guess for some people they work really great, but they don't work well enough to allow the masses to enjoy. Um, but we're going to do it anyway, and it's going to be one of our big titles. And then it just doesn't sell well. People get a, a negative connotation with it, and then they just continue to believe that Nintendo sucks. 
Right. Um, maybe if they released a good Star Fox game that just was more traditional, but maybe had some unique flair to it, or maybe that had Gyra controls, but uh, did them in, in more in a more comfortable manner, that they didn't have to be super different. It could have been received more, and, and maybe people who either aren't Nintendo fans or are waning Nintendo fans might not feel so negative about the decisions. And you, you do enough of these instances that maybe Nintendo's image turns around to non-Nintendo hardcore fans like like we are, you know, dedicated fans. Um, I think people like that you encountered today are just completely ignorant <laughs> and will never change. But, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's a tough balance because on the one hand, I definitely want things like Super Mario Maker and Splatoon and these, you know, things that couldn't have happened without the tablet. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think not only are the motion controls integral to the Splatoon experience, but having the map down below and being able to press the button to warp to any one of your uh, friends on the field, all this different information you get on that tablet is important. So I think the tablet was a great move, but at the same time, there was such a heavy emphasis on it because it was their gimmick, and it never really came into the proper fruition. It just sullies their image altogether. So I I don't know what this NX is going to be, for example, but hopefully, and I don't even blame this on Iwata or anything, but you know, with new blood in the in the highest position at Nintendo, we have a bit of a chance at maybe re-looking at some directions they're going and how to utilize their assets in a way that will be more mass market friendly. Mm. Because in the end, as much as us Nintendo fans are dedicated, they can't continue to rely on us, and the Wii was an example of that, but that might be a one-time thing. So you might have to start focusing on other gamers again who actually right. already enjoy playing games and you just have to convince them to play games on your system, well, third-party or not. I mean, Nintendo has enough power to create enough great games where third-parties are not that required. A lot of people feel comfortable buying multiple consoles to get a mix of everything, but uh, Nintendo has full control over itself, and, and maybe perhaps... Whether well, this is Miyamoto's direction or not, uh, but I can see where it might feel that way. Um, but perhaps they need to to change course to some degree to create a more balanced uh, lineup. Yeah, and you know, and and balance is the word that would sum up the ideal for me, really. But um, Dave, do you have any sort of thoughts on this that come to mind? Well, I guess I kind of come back to the uh, the idea that you said about uh, gimmick, and I think. Even if it's unintended, Nintendo reads that way mm. to people. Yeah. Um, they give you a, a brand new system. It's not the Wii, it's the Wii U. Well, instantly to a certain percentage of people, that's going to sound more like a peripheral addition than it is an entire new generation of system. Okay, that's fine. We now move on. It is a whole new system unto itself. And now they people find that instead of having a traditional controller like they would see with an Xbox One or a PS4, an Xbox 360, and a PS3 or, and so on down the line, you get a giant tablet, which to some people is off-putting rather than inviting. I mean, this seems to be Nintendo's MO, and if that means to regain the market share that once was had, not even with the Wii, but just in general... If that means that I have to kind of do a bit of a course correction like you guys have been talking about and, you know, maybe trying to, okay, you know, let's back off on some of these things. Let's let's introduce those in, in not necessarily our flagship games, but in maybe our 
say, 1B tier games, not even 2 tier. But. Well, and it's funny because with, uh, with the Wii U, you kind of expect the Nintendo to do that with their flagship games, and it took a long time for them to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pikmin 3 utilized it to some degree. That was nice. Um, Splatoon, but I remember even then a lot of people who were, like, fans saying, like, it's better to just use the um, the pointer. Well, yeah, and actually that's that's kind of the second part of my point is uh, is that's how I preferred to do it, was the Wii Motion controls, and then use the, the tablet as just a map. Um, I can't think of that many examples besides Super Mario Maker and maybe Splatoon to an extent that really utilized it in any real significant way. Nintendo Land tried and succeeded in some areas, but it never felt like it grabbed on a significant hold there. Uh, I think the Metroid minigame in particular was really great. We never saw a Metroid game you know, that, that utilized yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, the thing with the Wii that I think was actually really good, and to, to what Dave was saying, is you had a few less buttons, so it wasn't the same traditional Xbox PlayStation controller, but a lot of your input was turned into what is natural human movement. Everybody knows how to move their arms if they have arms, and everyone, you know. I mean, it, it is. there's no question, if you're playing the bowling minigame in Wii Sports, you know how to play the damn game. Right. So you don't need all these complicated buttons. But then when you go to the tablet, even though the buttons, there's probably less or equal to on a t- t- typical controller, you suddenly get this touch screen, which sounds intuitive, but, well, how do I touch it, or where do I touch it? Uh, oh, the submenus in the in the screen itself, it can get really deep and confusing. And when you don't even explain this is a new system, and people are like, well, how do I get the tablet uh, yeah. from my Wii? I mean, it was just a complete <laughs> clusterfuck of misinformation and then p- potentially, you know, daunting, um, at least for the, the people that were playing the Wii who were non-gamers initially. They're not necessarily going to want to jump into the tablet world. Uh, they might have a tablet for their ebooks or something but i'm not you know that i don't think that many people nintendo was aiming for necessarily played games on their tablets beyond maybe a puzzle game where you're sliding stuff around and they advertised that in their initial initial wii u stuff they had go on a table and you could just play that with your friends we never got any of that isn't this somewhat the crux of nintendo's problem in that regard my wife and I were out of town for the last weekend, so we ended up in a hotel room and we had cable for the first time in, well, forever. The reason I say that is not just because of the humor that we were watching TV, but we happened upon, a, I'm not sure if they have a, a network like this in, in the U.S., but in Canada they have a station called YTV. It's kind of youth television, so it marketed towards like your tween age kids and lower. And I'm flipping through the channels and I come across a Kirby Planet Robobot commercial. Now, that is the first Nintendo commercial for one of their video games I have seen in forever. And it was set up, the commercial was set up like two 14-year-old kids talking about the game like it's a, a talk show. That's the format of the commercial. And I compare that to all the marketing I see for um, the latest Call of Duty or the latest whatever, you know, burly guy shooter game that you see out there, where they show up on flagship networks, on ESPN, on ABC or NBC, where they have primetime location for this advertising. And Nintendo throws it out, Planet Robobot, with this pink character, which I think is fantastic, but it reads a certain way. Mm. Like, it, it's, it's Kirby on... I guess for you guys would be Nickelodeon would be the the comparable on the Nickelodeon network, whereas 
I mean, by by their very marketing choices alone, they're playing right into the wheelhouse of well, the Nintendo's for kids. Like good, bad, or otherwise, it seems to be they're 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 giving into that. Yeah, yeah. It's for me. It seems like you know, the Wii ha- had had this uh, expanded audience, which whether you want to argue they migrated to smartphones or just gave up on gaming altogether. The bottom line is they don't seem to be coming back anytime soon. And, and then the only other two groups left are the hardcore Nintendo fans. And then the mass, you know, anyone who would identify themselves as gamer, whatever that might mean to them. The hardcore Nintendo fans, yeah, we're going to be happy being able to buy a box that plays Mario, Zelda, hopefully a Metroid, the occasional fun thing like Kid Icarus or whatever. But Nintendo needs to get that gamer general category back on board somehow, or else I just, I don't know how we're not going to just have another Wii U situation. And again, I'm perfectly happy with the system. The only disappointment I have about the system is that it wasn't popular enough to continue giving me the the kind of software choices and experiences that I that I think it has the potential to deliver on. You know sure. what I mean? I think that's an excellent point. So I don't want to necessarily digress from where we're going, but to, I want to bring it back to Miyamoto a little bit mm-hmm. because he's he's clearly a, an influential part of Nintendo to this day. I mean, he's been there since he's he's been with Nintendo as long as I've been alive, and he has had a different role over the years. Um, I feel like these days he's more or less a yes man or a no man, just kind of turning on other people's ideas, and I don't see a lot of fresh things coming out of him. And maybe maybe that's his age, and maybe he's just not interested in it or not capable of it so much more. Um, not you know, no offense to Mister Miyamoto if he's listening, but uh, <laughs> I, I you know I don't know if he's really as useful or as good for the company if he is just trying to think of ways to shake things up. And then let other people do it. Like Pikmin was was his last. Was that his last franchise that he kind of came up with out of his own, out of the blue? You know that that was really his. You got like Mario, you got Zelda, you got Pikmin. Um, everything is just like iteration after iteration. He just oversees it now. And then if he comes up with a with a physical gimmick like the Star Fox Zero controls or, um. You know the the sword fighting in Zelda for Skyward Sword, which again I thought was was pretty fun and everything, mm-hmm. but it's clearly not a long term winning strategy to rely on these in your big hitting games necessarily. So I don't right. know. I, maybe he would be more effective coming up with new IPs and uh, creating whimsical worlds that we've never seen ourselves in 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 a video game situation before, like well, we kind of used to. And that's, you know, these more recent examples that you bring up to me, it's especially weird because of all the times that we've heard someone like Reggie say, you know, in regards to something like system horsepower, it carries over the same for system novelties like the gamepad of the Wiimote. It's not the hardware that gets people interested. It's the software. It's the content. And it's weird because I get... 
um, in arguments with a, another Nintendo fan friend of mine where I, I come off sounding exactly on the opposite side of it where I'm like really defending Nintendo because if you look at their greatest successes, which is the DS and the Wii, you know, the lesson that I'm sure they came away with is, man, out of the box is really where it's at, right? Because at the time, the DS was like this crazy thing, right? Two screens, a touchpad. Whoa, what are you guys thinking? You guys are crazy. It's never going to work. And it was a runaway success. The Wii, oh, it's underpowered. and it's Duct tape together. This crazy <laughs> remote is never going to work. Runaway success. So I'm sure, again, the lesson they learned is when we're outside the box is when we're at our best, and we need to do that to capture people. But the... The, the lesson they should have learned was that, yeah, those were outside the box designs, but the content was there. The games were there, you know. The DS, I think, is one of the best libraries ever assembled. And they really brought back the RPG in a way that really made sense, you know, lent itself to the strengths of that system. Um, so what Miyamoto is doing now, I feel like he's chasing, you know, what we've seen of him lately, even with the Skyward Sword is chasing that sort of outside-the-box novelty and, I, I don't want to say at the expense of, but not really focusing on, is this best serving the software? Is this best serving the game at experience well, at, at its core? Hasn't he been quoted as saying that they often uh, kind of come up with the hardware that will serve, or the, the games will serve the hardware? So they they come up with a really unique hardware idea, then they kind of build their games off that. So they wanted to, or where is the other way around? That I don't they, know. They wanted to see Zelda. either way kind of makes some amount of sense. I'm, I'm going to go with Joe. It doesn't really matter how you frame that. It seems to be the case because if you tell me that they came up with a hardware gimmick and then they built a game around it, that could explain Wii Sports, mm. right? Just as easily as you could say, well, they came up with this really cool idea now we got to find a way of making it um Viable. doable yeah yeah fun or or even tenable as a game yeah and just so so much of this you know that that early Wii software just sung you know it just some of it was fantastic yeah and, and a lot of it was boiled down to tech demos you know but point is you you know see it at someone's house uh, or just introduce it to friends and family for a little bit. And it's like within three minutes, you're all having a great time. And, uh, you know. But the Wii felt like the, a new NES. And I say that because, right, yeah, because of that right. sentence you just said just now. Because I remember as a kid going over to whatever friend or relation who had an NES that had a game you didn't have. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it wasn't just that they had an NES. Because the NES at that point wasn't the major part of it. It was that they had a game that you didn't have. So I remember the first time playing Mega Man 2 to bring the conversation in that way again was not at my house. That was at some at my cousin's house who had Mega Man 2. And I'm watching this going, I need to play this. Mm -hmm. I, ne I need to, even if I can't own it myself, I need to borrow this or I need to rent it. I need to play this. And you say the same thing and that's what happened with the Wii is you go see someone else playing it, tech demo or not, and you're yeah. like, Holy crap! You know this. This is really cool. 
I got my dad to touch a video game after he's been trying to refuse to buy me video games for 36 years. I I got him to go Wii Bowling with me. I mean, it was hilarious, but it was still one of those things. My sister requested Okami for Christmas, which, you know, she's never, like, shown interest in a game ever. But she got into the Wii via Wii Fit and then saw, quote, the wolf game somewhere else (laughs) and thought it looked pretty. And so she asked for it. And that was like, I was beside myself because I was like, yes, my sister likes video games. You know, it's just. It's finally happened. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, that that's just, that's just how it worked. That's just how it went. Um, and I mean, sure, the, the, the gimmick on its surface is kind of the gateway. It's like, oh, you can play a video game like that now? Right. And fine, that may be an attention grabber, but that isn't what keeps your attention. Sure, it might get you to the store to pick up the DS, but what keeps you buying games for it? And what keeps right. you from just, okay, well, I'm done with this system and pawning it off or giving it to a friend or whatever is the fact that you have a library of games that work well on the system, whether they be tech demos or whether they kind of use the more basic functions. There were DS games that the only thing about the DS that they used was the fact that there were two screens. You never touched the stylus. Right. They just had two screens to work with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I know that, uh, Stephen, in the interest of time, probably would like us to put a bow on this conversation. So. Yes, but I've got a bow to add for myself. Okay. Well, <laughs> so. I will let you do that. I just want to say that, uh, I, I really don't want this to come off as me saying, like, Miyamoto's old and got to retire or something like that. I mean, he's still, he's never going to not be one of the most brilliant minds in gaming, in my opinion. And I would be very, very sad if he was not involved in, in Nintendo's direction going forward in some capacity. I'm just not sure the way that they're using him right now is the most beneficial where it seems like, Hey, we've got this thing, but we need to make Miyamoto happy. So, Okay, come here, Shigeru. Put 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 your stamp on it, and yeah. and then it's like this shoehorned in kind of creative idea, you know, like Project Guard or you know Star Fox Guard. For all intents and purposes, is a fun little game. Some people like it better than Star Fox Zero, but does it really make sense as part of that package, or should it be something else? Should it sit in the oven a little longer? You know, it's just. The way it's working right now doesn't seem to be to their advantage. So as much as I respect him and and want him to be a part of it, I feel they need to rethink it a little bit. Well, let's be honest. Is this not the case with most major creative types that have all these great ideas and and they need people around them to kind of focus their energies or to refine the, like, okay, great, we see where you're going. Here's a minor pitfall with what your idea is. Let's refine it this way. It keeps the spirit of the idea, but we can move forward on a technical way, or we can move forward sure. on a on a whatever way. No one, I agree with you completely. No one's saying, "Okay, you know, thanks, Shigeru. Here's your gold watch, and send you on your way." <laughs> right, kind of thing. Right. But he needs people not just glad handing him yeah. if that's what's going on. Yeah, and and challenging him to 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 say, "No one's keeping you from your ideas, and no one's trying to." put you in your proverbial place 
your place is secure. You've earned yeah. it. Yeah. But, you know, like, you know, give us some... It, so you can't just have people yes manning him. You know, you need someone right. to to challenge him. And when I say that I think Nintendo has to win back that general gamer, I don't. You know, that doesn't mean that I want them to just make a PS4 Nintendo style and like, you know, everything is Call of Duty, Tomb Raider, whatever. Like. I feel, you know, the word Steven used earlier is balance. I just, I feel like there's no reason that they actually can't have it both ways. Because I think they can. And I think in the NES and SNES days, they kind of did. Because they were, they did provide the four kids content back then, right? Like, the Genesis was all, like, you know, like, hardcore, edgy, whatever. And Nintendo had the youth market but they also had the the you know what was the older market at that time as well and they also had mature and adult experiences Mm -hmm. and the two things coexisted side by side just the way that children's content and adult content exists side by side on the movie shelves you know it's just sure there's no reason why there has to be that hard divide and i think nintendo should really Figure figure that out, and uh, sooner the better. It's just amazing how the name that used to be synonymous with gaming for absolutely everybody has become yeah. now the name that is dragged through the mud for better or for worse. <laughs> I know. It's I know. and it, and I mean, you know, like this is a this is a hobby or a, or a passion that, relatively speaking, in the annals of human history, has been around for such a short amount of time to the point that the three of us can talk about it as saying what happened when we were kids to right. now, yeah. and it being worlds different in yep. some ways. And, and it, it never ceases to amaze me how the system that everybody I knew, if they didn't have it, begged for it, yep. you know, and just demanded it, has now been, why would you want to play a Nintendo game? Yeah, I know. Like, why would you do that to yourself? In, in as, a if lot it, of, as if it's some sort of a torturous thing we're doing to ourselves. Oh, yeah. In a lot of circles, you know, the way that, like, Kleenex is a brand, but we refer to that as tissues, you know, people yep. used to say they were playing Nintendo, no matter yep. what it was. You know, yep. that, that used to be the thing. And yet, yeah, today, like, that guy in, in GameStop, you know, when he was when he couldn't sell me the game I walked in for, he was, you know, his next question was, do you have a PS4 or an Xbox one? Yeah. You know? And when I said, no, it was, he was, it was almost like, oh, well, yeah, sorry, well, you're, you're yeah. beyond help then, you know, yeah. Yeah, you clearly know, but, you don't get it. <laughs> yeah. but at the same time with those kind of employees and not to put every GameStop employee into this bucket. Cause I've known quite a few Nintendo heads that uh, have worked at those, but um, that guy, he's, he's there to sell what's profitable and sure um a lot of the people that go in there with their own money are going to be going in there for those other consoles and so he's he's going to have his bias and i think part of it's just is what his company is you know what they're really trying to sell i don't gamestop does not make that much money off nintendo whether they want i don't think they care to yeah you're absolutely right but i you know my perspective at this point is there's no reason why that needs to be the case like all of these all the great games that keep the three of us coming back to Nintendo, uh, you know, first or third party. Sure. I, I feel like there's no real reason why those 
can't or shouldn't sell and resonate with a larger audience. But there's this weird stigma attached to it. And when it translates to the point that they aren't even stocking these games on the shelves, you know, to me, that's such a vicious cycle where, well, how are you going to, how are you going to expect them to be a success? How, how are you enabling them to sell when they're not even on the shelves where the only way to get it was if you pre-ordered? Because how many people are even in the know enough? You shouldn't have to pre-order. <laughs> no. Although no, you but, don't have to pre-order on Amazon right now. It's available free. Yeah. yeah. No, but you shouldn't have to pre-order full stock. Yeah. You know, right. like there's no game in the world you should have to pre-order. We live in a in a world where they can print these off for pennies. Right. You mean tell me you can't just get in 10 instead of 2? Like I just I mean this is the amiibo argument at the beginning of it all over again. Like yeah. like I mean not to rehash that again, but there's no reason in the world that something like this should be an issue. Yeah, and this, you know, this is a game that is as of recording like what released 10 days ago you know this is like you know this like yeah that's ridiculous yeah i feel so bad anyway. for, i feel bad for you because the the uh, the e the eb games which is the gamestop equivalent here in canada the guys there are helpful they're sympathetic if you're a nintendo fan they they feel bad for you but not in the way this guy felt bad for you <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> they feel right, bad right. for it's like man i see you really want that game and it's not my taste but you know i'll try to help you out best sure. i can kind of thing well and as i've said on this podcast you know over the last couple of years i've wound up with um, best buy gift cards so i'll, I'll wind up pre-ordering games from best buy and it, it's been you know even worse where i i pre-order the game and it's still not there because Nintendo is so not a priority to them. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with the mentality of the guy behind the register because okay, he could care less. Frankly, the guy at Best Buy chews my ear off about niche 3DS games every time I go in there, which is <laughs> fine as long as I'm not in a hurry. But, um, but yeah, that's just, it's this, I don't know. There's a block there that, that I think it's in all of our best interests for. Yeah. intended to figure out uh, how to remove and you know this th- Miyamoto's influence right now I'm just I feel like it's part of that and it, it uh, there can be a balance I, I feel like it doesn't have to be that way I feel like we can get the best of both worlds they just got to kind of figure it out but, so what um, I'm hearing from all this conversation and Stephen can correct me if I'm wrong is that we need to book ourselves a plane tickets over to Japan and we just sit down we have a yeah. talk I'm just saying we talk about it. You know, we the three of us, the company that is Nintendo, we just chat about it. Like we love make you. Sure, make sure we there's not you. a tea table in well, front of us. <laughs> a, make, a, a, a wee ta- a wee tablet go table. <laughs> no, make it a um, a Tim Hortons tea table, and I'm in. Ooh. All right, I like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Steven, I want to allow you to have your bow. Oh yes. Oh, God knows where that fits on the present anymore. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, you know, I pulled up, uh, not exactly maybe the exact quote, but I, I pulled up this thing that I was looking for about Miyamoto's philosophy. And, uh, again, I mean, I love the guy and I love his work and everything, but what I wonder is if, if they rely too heavily on, on his, and his philosophy, if that's really the best to garner the interest of all other gamers out there, because he knows the Nintendo gamers very well and they align with him. That's why we're here. But uh, but I think why Nintendo doesn't you know they they have all these people in the GameStops and 
and these companies who aren't necessarily giving them the full attention is because they don't appeal to everyone like they think they do. I don't think that the people that like the Wii, you know, the, all these, you know, grandmothers and mothers and, and fathers and all these people who didn't play games before, it wasn't so much that, oh, well, now we're playing Miyamoto games. This is great. It was more just a novelty for them. Uh, but when you get to the, the core of the of gameplay and, and game ideas, uh, one thing that, that this article says here, and it's relating to a Master of Play uh, article uh, in The New Yorker from like six years ago, and Miyamoto mentions that if, if a game is fun for himself, then and he enjoys it, then others will too, and that's that's his philosophy, and that you know that that's kind of what he goes off of. If he gets a good feel for it, then that then right. that's the right game. But damn it, Miyamoto, you're one person, man. I mean, I know yeah. you've got a good pulse on things, but you can't develop a whole structure for a console's life around that. And uh, and then I guess this article continues to say, um, maybe this is from a different article, but. Uh, Let's see, he he continues on about like talking about the Pokemon series, and and the quote here is, and that's the point, not to make something sell, something very popular, but to love something and make something that we creators can love. That's the very core feeling that we should be uh, that should, we should have in making games, as if they, you know, Miyamoto wants the players to feel about the game that the, develop, the developers felt, which is very very honorable, and I too would like to feel that, but you're not going to get that from everybody. You, some people just want mindless fun. Um, they just want to escape, and they don't necessarily need to feel the love about the creation of the game. They just want to experience it. People don't have to to love filmmaking to appreciate movies. And right. if you want to create, and if you only create movies or a certain style of movies that only you like to watch, well, then you're not going to be as profitable as the guy who can appeal to more different varied tastes. And so Nintendo really should maybe appeal to that a little bit more, and and, and they do with Splatoon. That's a their first ever third person online shooter, and that certainly appeals to a different kind of crowd. And they've really locked in; they've done it in their own way. I'm hoping to see more of that, uh, but utilizing their franchises that may not sell that well, but maybe maybe not forcing the next F Zero to have like to use a Wii wheel or something. You know, maybe sure. make it a little more traditional, make it yeah, exactly. make it look beautiful, make it fun, and it'll attract people. But I mean, that's... go ahead. I was just gonna say, but that's just it. These are characters. These these properties are are not necessarily having to be stagnant. Like, why is it that Fox McCloud can only be flying an R wing? I mean, everyone ridiculed and ripped up and down Star Fox Adventures. I thought it was really good. That's a that's an interesting and, and a whole another topic that I wouldn't mind touching on sometime. Because well, I'm here. Do... You just feel free to let me know. People, uh, and certainly we will, trust me, um, but people do link the character, no, no pun intended, they link the characters to the the genre that they're from. Yeah. And maybe maybe that is inappropriate for what Nintendo wants to do going forward, and maybe it's not required. Um, but then you also, people will perceive it as a spinoff. It's not a real game. You know, Star Fox Adventure is not a real game. And it really was a separate game until they brought in the Star Fox franchise on top of the Dinosaur Planet Sure. Premise, um, and it's an interesting thought experiment to consider whether or not Dinosaur Planet would have succeeded or been able to succeed if it had the same maybe marketing energy and push behind it as it did when it had Star Fox attached. But hasn't Nintendo done this before? I mean, this is how we got Super Mario Brothers two the way we in North America got it. They took mm-hmm. another game, co-opted it for one of a, a property that had name recognition, and sent it on its way. 
I, most... I guess I don't understand. I mean, when Mario, what was what would be one of the first Mario games that came out that wasn't a platformer? Like, I know it's not the first one necessarily, but Mario Kart. Mm-hmm. You know that defined that created an entire new genre out of a character IP that existed previously. It can be done. It doesn't have to be this stagnant. I'm curious how often that happens beyond Mario, though. Uh, but 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 Mario Kart is a, is a great point. And then a counterpoint I can make is this hatred towards Metroid Prime Federation Force. Fair where they they do not need to attach that to a Metroid franchise. It doesn't need it, and it really actually solely's it by by attaching it. Um, so it, it's a it's a it's a touch and go thing, and I think I don't think people generally know whether or not they're coming and going on that either. I think on the one hand, if they like the game, then they'll be happy with the inclusion. If they're unhappy with the game, they're going to be unhappy with the inclusion. Yeah. So like, if Mario Kart sucked, they'd be like, "Oh my god, you know why?" Yeah, we saw Mario? this coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, so maybe maybe that's more more the secret there, but. Uh, but I, I, for one, like seeing other characters that I get to know in other games. And Miyamoto, back to what he his philosophies have been, he wanted Woohoo Island to be almost a character where it continued to show up in different games, such as Mario Kart and uh, Wii Fit and uh, Wii Sports and stuff like that. And it never really came to the full fruition that he perhaps wanted to envision. But I like that premise, and I think we could we could use a little more of that. I agree. And I think that might it might. Help the bridge the gap too from uh, taking people who prefer one genre, say people who just love platformers and that's really all they play. Well, you make a Super Mario RPG. Well, holy shit, you've got people who now might like RPGs, never yeah. wanted to care before. You know, I don't get into a lot of RPGs just because I have no connection to the franchise. Like, I don't want to jump into some random world I don't know and just start fighting magic and monsters just for the hell of it. I kind of prefer to have some sort of something, some sort of hook. Uh, yeah. Radi- Radiant Historia was a game that I ended up loving that I had no previously uh, previous hook for, but maybe that was part of surely the gimmick. But again, Super Mario RPG, I probably never would have really looked at until I realized, oh, cool, it's got Mario, and oh, this is really fun. The music's great. It's all and it all just relates, and it brings good feelings about the franchise as a whole to me. So yeah, I know for myself when I think to you, you were speaking that like as the hardcore Nintendo fan, I mean they've got us, they've convinced us already. We got convinced long ago. As to to keep we, coming back, we we drank the Kool Aid. Oh yeah, ones. I've I've been chugging that Kool Aid for years, and I've I got an I, IV for it. <laughs> and I think to myself, like, what is it about it that keeps bringing me back? And and I keep coming back to because people ask me, you know, why don't I? Because I run into people out that you know call or say like as we said, gamer. However, you define that, guys that play Call of Duty and those types of games that I've never touched, and they say, well, why don't you play them? And I say, well, I guess when I look for a game to play, I try to recreate the feelings I had when I was a kid. And the only thing that does that for me anymore is Nintendo stuff. Part of it is nostalgia, let's be honest. You know, part of it's the fact that I'm playing the same character I've been playing since um, since I was a child. But the games have a fun to them. There, there's a lightness about them. It's not all doom and gloom or, or whatnot. It's not trying to be a movie. It's not trying to compete at that level. It's not trying to give us grit and all that. Some people may like that. I've got enough of that in other ways. 
I like a little fantasy. And then to that point, that all those points you made there are pretty much parts of Miyamoto's philosophy. So it's amazing how parts of it still function, parts yeah. of it could be hindering uh, hindering the situation. And I guess the only counterpoint I can make to that is, while I agree with you and I really strive on those kinds of things, uh, I, I like a little rekindling of, a, of an old favorite or of an old uh, a previous memory that I enjoyed and building on that. Nowadays, we're all in, you know entering our 30s or well in our 30s or whatever. A lot of the people in negative world are that or older. And so the new crop who are experiencing this, you know, this this newest Mario game, uh, Mario 3D World, is their first Mario. Yeah. So they don't have that to, to strive on uh, or ride on or whatever the word would be. So they don't really give a shit for that. So really you need to get yeah. them entertained again and not just on the nostalgic memories that we like to get hooked on. But if you want to create longevity, I guess you have to be a little more creative and maybe taking up these characters that people start liking, maybe because they like the one game, moving them to another another style of game could be an effective use of uh, of the franchise to help grow. But um, we're just, again just focusing on new I, new IPs, yeah. things things that things that because I think some young people also look at that and say, oh well, Mario, oh that's old stuff. Who wants to play that? You yeah. know, because it has the history, even though that's somewhat foolish. But uh, and I know we're trying to wrap it up, so I'll try to make my point quick. I was at one of the previous uh, or one of these uh, game stores I was talking about. And I saw a kid run in with his sister, and the the older sisters, I think she was about seven ish, and the little kid, the little boy, was about five ish, and he ran up to a wall of 360 games and went, oh, "The Call of Duty games," and I'm like, "That's the world right there," <laughs> because that never, like, even at that age, a game like that, I don't know that it would have grabbed me. Yeah, like I didn't. Like what would have been the the equivalent for when I was that age? Contra. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, yeah. Maybe that's just more the difference in people than it is the difference in age. It could be like my my brother in law is huge into Contra. He loves that, and he's he has fond memories of that. I'm sure that's how he reacted. You know, yeah. When that, when that came out. Um, but the way that marketing is happening now, I don't think it's probably as different as I might think it is. I'm sure there is a lot of heavy marketing. Back then, for those kinds of mature, awesome, cool guy games, yeah, like we see today. But I was just oblivious to it because I wasn't cool. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but and that's I, how we sign this off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, and that was the end of the story. Um, but but I think what kept the whimsy alive before was Miyamoto's practices and his envisioning uh, for Nintendo, and then a lot of people trying to mimic him as well. And people don't try to mimic him anymore. And, no, they don't. And he's not really working to create new things himself. He's kind of directing existing properties and, and games and teams. So I, I don't know if we can ever get back to the old school days for ourselves or, or remake it here. But uh, I think Miyamoto needs to just think of maybe how to do what he does best. But he's still got to consider long term and, and maybe not so much how do I get my idea in this game just to do it, just to get people to experience the idea. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. This this definitely uh, could continue on for. It's for a developing moons, story, and we'll... many more glasses of Kool Aid. Yeah, but uh, I think I think we can end it there for now. If that's all right, that that's sounds stupid. great. Um, we're only uh, longer than <laughs> expected, as usual. 
<laughs> and we're all shocked. Yeah, my, my hard stop at X time is always more or less like, oh, I'm just going to hate myself in the morning yeah. kind of thing. But um, but no, I didn't I don't want to cut this off too early. And, uh, and this was a, a great discussion with you guys. Some very thought-provoking things I felt and um, things I'll probably continue to think about tomorrow. And so uh, I guess I'll hit the closing statements here. Um, you know, we really would like you to comment on the show. We really do encourage it. We we do get a big kick out of uh, the feedback, but we also thrive on it. And um, partially we, we enjoy knowing, you know, who out there is listening, but we also really like to know that other people's opinions uh, exist, whether to in agreement or differing from our own. And uh, it helps kind of keep the, the particular episode alive further. And um, so it's always encouraged. So you can do that by finding us at negativeworld.org. You know, just find the thread associated with this episode. And uh, you can even view, you know, the thread if you'd like, if you're not a subscriber. Um, but if you're not a subscriber, you can find us through Facebook, uh, through Twitter, which is uh, negative underscore, at negative underscore world. And, um, you know, we're here regardless, but we, we appreciate the feedback, I'll be honest. And, uh, but Dave, uh, in particular, you know, you, you've been pretty busy these days, but I appreciate you stopping by the, uh, the old gaming zone or whatever we call ourselves yeah. and, and chatting with us for all this time. Hey, I really appreciate you guys uh, inviting me to join in. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. And thank you to your yeah. microphone equipment for sounding great from the start. Oh, well, that, that's, that's just good luck. I promise yeah, you. I just, I just appreciate, uh, Oh, everything I can appreciate. I'll try to. So, <laughs> um, you know, I encourage everyone else out there to come, come join us in the show. We, we really value a varying, you know, ro- rotisserie of, uh, of guests, I'll call it that. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know, Joe and I are here. We're always here. And on that note, thank you, Joe, as always, for joining me on this co-hosting gig. Thank you, as always, for putting it together. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Go play some Shantae and maybe yeah. somebody number nine. And, uh, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.